Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Ruben! Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version. With four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 173. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my son, Chris Reagan. Chris, how are you today? Has anyone constructed yet anything for you? With that green screen, that might be interesting. <laughs> no, not yet. I haven't gotten any. Nothing I'm aware of, anyway. I haven't seen mm, any edits. It is disappointing. It's it's practically begging. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I know. It's like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> it's so easy. Even I know how to do something with the, with a green screen. Uh, you know, like there's no yeah. excuse. Let's make this happen. Well, welcome, Chris. I hope you're doing very well indeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, always joining us as well these days, Dustin Furman, executive producer of Last Stand. I hope. You're well as well, Dustin. Allow myself to introduce myself. I'm doing very well. I had, uh, as we talked about last week, just had my Italian meat sandwich. Now, someone pointed out that no one said, because I was saying how I wake up in the morning, I start thinking about this sandwich. No one, uh, someone in the comments said, like, no one pointed out that Dustin wakes up thinking about Italian sausage. And uh, I thought that was a... Do we need to acknowledge, (laughs) you know, do we have to acknowledge every oddity? That comes out of one of our mouths. It's it's too much. But it was a bit. I, um, I, don't, I don't know I don't what know. else to do. Phallic in nature, maybe. <laughs> it is, but there's nothing wrong with a little. There's nothing. First of all, 
a lot many a thing is phallic and that's great and it's fantastic that, but but i don't <laughs> but i don't want to i don't want to call out every oddity every weird situation i think that by doing that we be, we slowly become something else entirely mm. and uh that that scares me because i feel like we're teetering already on the edge of not being a playstation <laughs> podcast it's fair yeah well welcome one welcome all to sacred symbols ostensibly a playstation podcast we put it up each and every week we're glad to have you here we're the biggest playstation podcast in the world all thanks to you on patreon patreon.com slash last media where we have the biggest games related patreon in the world also thanks to you Join us on YouTube, follow us on social media feeds, listen to us on iTunes, uh, leave us nice reviews there, buy merch, lastdaymedia.shop if you'd like, and uh, be gentle to yourselves as we get into this fall and winter season. Of course, I want to remind everyone of Sacred Symbols Plus as well, that's the, or one of the big perks you get over on Patreon in addition to ad-free and early access to every episode of this show. We've been putting up some bangers over there lately, I have to say, and uh, people are really enjoying them. The most recent one that we put up is, as of the time we're recording this anyway, is uh, an episode I did with the lead programmer of Techland, and it's really interesting about, he has a really great anecdote about why he thinks Polish developers are so good, and it's actually like quite, quite interesting, and has to do with Soviet times, and he tells this anecdote of, you know, like we had nothing, and we had to make do with what we had, and like we kind of just have that almost autarky, as it were. With game development and so people are really really enjoying that and i appreciate that we also put up one with uh, about gran turismo one about emulation we have one coming up all about trophies we have uh, another one coming up well should i say it well I, I i will say this that i'm talking to a good developer friend of mine who people would really like me to speak to on camera about getting him on the show as well and i think that that's going to happen soon too so thank you all for your kindness and generosity and support over on Sacred Symbols Plus and on Patreon. All right, we have a few corrections to get through and then a few other pieces of nonsense before we get right into the news as we do, but there are a few things that we need to correct this, uh, to correct the uh, record on here. And I think most of this is my fault. Dirty Flint wrote in and said, Howdy, Kings, just a quick correction from last week. Colin incorrectly stated Moon Studios is Microsoft owned. Keep fucking that chicken. I think I've done that multiple times. And then I went back and read and I was like, aren't they? Like, I guess I just was like, thought that, but they're not. I don't know why I thought that. But uh, it sent me down an even further rabbit hole. Of course, for people that don't know, this is the team that does Ori. And they're basically a second party for Microsoft. But I was falling down the rabbit hole and they are working on a game that has undeclared platforms. And so who knows what Mm. what they might be working on next. And it's worth noting that Ori did come to Switch, which was uh, fascinating. Although I think it's like something to do with the cloud or I don't know. I don't really have any idea how it worked. But I wanted to correct the uh, record there. Thank you for writing in. Lucas Cassica wrote in and said, hello from Brazil, my friends, just a quick correction, not really a correction, more of a comment about last week's Avengers microtransactions conversation. It's even worse than it looks. You guys said that it'd be horrible if they throttled the XP gains after introducing the uh, microtransactions. Guess what? They did that before introducing them. Square Enix actually increased the grind, saying that people felt overwhelmed by how fast they were leveling up <laughs> after doing that. And the game coming to Game Pass, they introduced XP boosters. Ironic, huh? <laughs> Eat fucking that chicken. I don't know if it's irony, but yeah, it's it's uh. A good yeah. point, based on our yeah. conversation last week that we kind of left that out. <laughs> I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That game, there's going to be a really interesting, one day, I hope, a really interesting postmortem or series of postmortems, maybe at GDC about this game. Oh, yeah. When they have enough distance to be able to speak about it. I'm a little worried that maybe that won't happen because of 
the IP wrapped up in it. But Square Enix has shown with Crystal Dynamics has shown a real propensity recently. They're showing off like a bunch of Tomb Raider shit. I don't know if you guys saw their show. They showed off like a Tomb Raider game that they canceled uh, called Uprising, I think. And there's like a bunch of art. And so they're doing all this, I think, for the 25th anniversary of Tomb Raider. So they want to do stuff like that. And I'm hoping that we see more about that because clearly this game is all fucked up behind yeah. the scenes. Although it seems to be finding its audience now. So who knows? Joseph LaRusso wrote in and said, hello, gentlemen, Colin, on last week's Sacred Symbols, you stated that Pathmark still existed. This is, of course, the supermarket, the tri-state area supermarket. Well, I have bad news for you. Pathmark shut down entirely several years ago, and the majority of its stores were replaced with Stop and Shop. Pathmark was the final remaining holdout of the Atlantic and Pacific A&P grocery chain. So I believe it deserves a moment of silence. Thank you. It does deserve a moment of silence. That's incredible to hear because that was a Pathmark was a big part of my upbringing. Yeah. Go to the Pathmark, you get groceries, got that iconic blue and red logo, and so on and so on and so on. Pathmark is a much better name than our local grocery store, which is Giant Eagle, which of course, yeah, Giant Eagle. Pittsburgh yeah. people can't even, I mean, they say it their way. I was going to say they don't say it right, but they say it their way. And it's Giant Eagle. So I hate that. God, uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Giant Eagle. <sighs> yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> Dagan shops there in, in um, the Philly suburbs oh, as okay. well. That's yeah. that's not a sub a supermarket we have here in the in the, so out west as Chris will know, it's like Safeway, Vons, Ralphs, stuff like that. Ralphs, yeah. right? And then here in the south, although I'm in the the kind of northern part of the south, we have stuff like Publix, and you know, so yeah. a, it's all sorts of weird supermarkets. And I don't like the name Publix very much because you take out that L and it's pubic. That's what I said. When I went to your house, Colin, I drove by. I'm like, is that a pubics? And I was like, wait, yeah, <laughs> take it easy. There's a, I found oh, out recently that there's yeah. a supermarket chain called Acme. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always thought like, whoa, they named a supermarket after the Looney Tunes company. <laughs> Weird. And I didn't learn until like recently, like in the last like few years that it's like, no, Acme just used to sell everything. So they used it in the Looney Tunes. I had no fucking idea. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it is like, it's awesome to think about because like Acme was always the, the name imprinted like on the anvils and the dynamite coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. Wiley Coyote was spending all sorts of his, you know, income earned and unearned yeah. on Acme. And they were quite efficient getting him those products in the middle of the desert as well. It's, uh, you know, it's just many decades before <laughs> Amazon and the Internet. Wow. So it's quite, quite, imp- quite impressive. All right, what else do we have here? Oh, Neil Moran wrote in and said, Hey, CDC, regarding the Irish folk singer and hints towards a big game release in December, I wanted to point out that the original Metal Gear Solid has a song that's actually in Irish. The best is yet to come. It's sung in Irish from the first game. So it's likely, it's so it's closer to Metal Gear Solid than you realize when mentioning fantasy games as a likelier candidate, Dustin, I think. So they're just saying there's this persistent rumor, again, someone outside of the industry not knowing that they shouldn't be saying anything, I think, saying that they did this Irish song for a game reveal of a PlayStation game and December, I just I'm not crazy about the the naming it of a PlayStation game. Metal Gear is not a PlayStation game. It's I understand what people mean, yeah. but maybe she wouldn't know any different. And maybe that suggests that Sony is publishing the game. But that's just when someone says, oh, there, there's a PlayStation game coming. I don't think of Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think it's awesome. Either. I would love to see that. All right. What else do we have here? Um, oh, I thought you guys might like this story. Colby Perry wrote in, said, hey, CC and D on the topic of scalping PS5s and just their general availability since launch, I've been able to procure five PS5 fats, no bots either. I've always been on the lookout for them because I always end up knowing someone on a local discord server that is looking for one themselves. 
since I have a decent idea of who the person is, I just sell it to them at cost since I'm already spending the time at my computer anyway. This still leaves me without a PS5 until this past summer. My brother unexpectedly passed away. He was only 47 and had won a PS5 via Burger King's promotion at launch. When we were making sense of his belongings in his condo after the fact, it was sitting there brand new unopened. Every day my wife and I use it to consume media and I'm playing through Persona 5 Royale. Uh, Royal. Why do you say Royale? Oh, he says Royale here. Persona 5 Royal. First JRPG since Final Fantasy 7 came out on the PS1 for me. And thus I'm reminded of his generosity whenever I pick up a controller. You all do a great job. Well, rest in peace to your brother. I thought that was a really nice story. Also, it's really nice to hear that people are doing nice things, trying to get PS5s for others, yeah. not charging a uh, any sort of price. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. point out is that Colby said here, this still leaves me without a PS5 until this past summer. And so he's been buying PS5s for other people and not claiming one for himself and get selling them at cost. That's uh, crazy. But man, sorry about your brother. Yeah. And uh, it's nice that you can have that uh, memento. That you can, uh, you know, I'm sure there's many mementos, but it's nice. It's a nice little little story for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Colby, thanks for writing in. All right. There's nothing else to waste our time with right now because I'm sick of talking about bidets. I'm sick of talking about warm cereal. I'm sick of talking about a lot of things. <laughs> so we're going to move on and find some other some other issues. You know, we, we closed this, the loop with the poop boy which I'm happy about, right? Yeah. Poop day. Yeah, that's that's mm. all done now. Thank so, God. So that's done. Yep. So we've let's put a pin in a lot of those things for now. We'll return to them at a at a more reasonable time because there's some news that I want to get into earnestly and boys, we have to start with the uncharted movie trailer. The uncharted movie trailer came out the day that we're recording this. And I'll just say before I even pitch it to either of you guys, it is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I don't see Uncharted in this. Yeah. I don't see Nathan Drake in Tom Holland. I definitely don't see Sully in Mark Wahlberg. But it looks fine. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. And that's my honest take on it. It was I was like, oh, you know. my brother Dagan always talks about how we go into movies. You know, he and I like we cross our arms and we wait to be disappointed and like a fanboy, you know, like an annoying like. Star Wars fanboy, we always say when we were younger and we would get so mad, take it so personal. And I want to go see this movie. But I must admit that I kind of went in expecting to be disappointed. So in some sense that it exceeded that expectation is somewhat nice. I I know a lot of people were being really hard on it. I get it. But. That's my take for, for the time being. Chris, what did you think of the Uncharted trailer? Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks competent. You know, it looks uh, it looks like a movie that would be fun to watch. You know, it doesn't. I, I think I agree with you where I just don't see Uncharted in it. You know, it doesn't look particularly Uncharted to me at all. Even when like you see Tom Holland in the the getup, it's just like that's a guy. You know, it's like oh look at that guy having a right. having a little adventure. But I do think. Um, it it feels it feels like a like a like a 1950s executive comment to like some secretary but i feel like i, I the whole time i was looking at tom holland i was like why don't you just smile more dude like just smile more like i understand like it seeing the trailer puts into context what he was talking about like when he like he's like he plays it very stoic he smiles yeah. like maybe like there's maybe like half a smile once in the trailer and it's like nathan drake's not that you know it's not exactly emo, but you know what I mean? Like, it's very, yeah, no, like, totally. it's very I, subdued. I totally understand that. And in some yeah. cases, I was like, I saw Mark Wahlberg, and I was like, oh, that looks more like Nathan Drake than 
than Tom Holland does. And there were also like these little things where it's like, why is this Uncharted 3 thing and Uncharted 4 thing in this movie if it's like a prequel? I don't know what's under, I don't understand what's happening. But it looks fun. I, I thought the Scottish thing was pretty funny. Like I actually got like a little bit of a chuckle out of that. But yeah, I don't know. It looks confident. Yeah, because that felt, that felt like Nathan Drake. Yeah, yeah. Like that felt perfect. Like a, a scene of him in a bar or something. Yeah, totally. But you're totally right. And I, I love what you said because I was reading a uh, the top comment on the PlayStation published trailer. And it says the same thing that you said, which is why does Mark Wahlberg as Sully look more like Nathan Drake? And it almost makes you wonder, like in the when they were mocking this up and getting early dailies and all of that. And it's like, why didn't someone say, like, wait a minute? He looks like Nathan Drake. It, he embodies Nathan Drake more. Even when you think about Mark Wahlberg as a personality, Mark Wahlberg seems like a nice, affable person, right? Like, well, I feel uh, like <laughs> yo, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, the, there was a little. There was a little thing in like the 90s, I think, with. Yes, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand that. Yes, but Aside, I'm that, not trying to rehabilitate him in a Mel Gibson sort of way. I'm just saying he seems like a he, he seems like a more affable. Tom Holland doesn't seem that way. Right. Like he seems like it, it seems like Drake would kind of be like Mark Wahlberg in some way, like this guy on the outs, this guy on the on the edge, this guy. Totally. And so, yeah, the even the humor at the end was really was funny with the Scottish thing. I was like, that's great. But. I think and I don't want to be mean to Tom Holland, but I don't think he's imposing enough to be Drake either. And I think when you were when you see shots of him, I'm like, man, this guy's small. It reminds me of what I've said in the past when I met uh, the guy that plays Jon Snow mm-hmm. at, at Comic-Con when I was at IGN. I just you know shook his hand and just briefly met him because he was doing something at IGN. And I was like, man, this guy is fucking small. And it was like in my mind, I was like, it's almost comical that he plays this character because it's it. It does. It belies belief that he would be able to like swing a sword and hold his own. I, sh- I, I he was. I was. I was amazed by how small he was. And yeah. so offense to him. And I think with Tom Holland, it's it's a similar thing where it's like Nathan Drake is not supposed to be a pushover, right? It, he gets in these fucking barroom brawls and thrown out of airplanes, and he's just tumbling all about. And he's just a rough and tumble dude. And Tom Holland just doesn't strike that that note for me. I think that he works more as Spider Man because Spider Man's a dork. Yeah. I don't think that in some way. And so I, I go back and I revisit and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Dustin. I mean, I, I go back and revisit my comments when we were talking about what Chris brought up, which was that, that ridiculous GQ article where Tom Holland was saying how he was, you know, flexing and with listening biceps or whatever he was saying. I'm like, man, did you ever even play Uncharted for a second before you said any of that? And that's kind of my takeaway. So the, the film, it definitely doesn't look as bad as I thought it was, but I don't have high hopes. Yeah. yeah a few things that were interesting to me just when i i watched the trailer on it wasn't playstation's youtube but like the sony pictures one there was like a big playstation graphic at the beginning for playstation studios and that was just weird to see that but now you know this makes sense with sony's multimedia uh initiative so seeing that and then at the end they advertised uh the whatever the among thieves collection or whatever mm-hmm. was at the end of the trailer as well so that was just kind of interesting to see before and after a movie trailer but yeah i don't know i mean i think the thing that chris said for me that was just i don't want to say bothersome but this as someone who's played the games you know i don't want to be the guy that's like well actually this stuff didn't happen in this way but that's how it kind of felt where it was like okay well 
this isn't really how they met, and this is from this game. I get it. It's a whole new Uncharted universe, but it's like, is that what we really need is a, a retelling yeah. live action? It goes back. I, I don't want to belabor the point because we say this every time we bring up Uncharted. It's like, we don't need this. Everyone gets it. The audience gets it. Audience gets it. So at this point, we just have to take it for what it is and either watch it and enjoy it or not. Whatever. It, it exists at this point. So either way, I mean, it's just it'll be interesting to see how people react to this film, especially since shortly after or maybe not shortly, but around the same time frame, we're going to get the Last of Us show and it sounds like these are made under two different, two different thought process or two different uh, strategies. Uncharted being very much like the classic. We're going to adapt these games. We'll throw some nods in to the, to the fans, but really we're kind of taking it our own direction where the last of us show seems to be going very faithful to a point where we've uh, criticized that for it's like, well, why don't you do something different no one's hit that middle point of it's like you can be faithful to the games but not just retell them tell something that wasn't told in the game in another way right or something new right so it'll be yeah just interesting to see how these you know weigh out it will be interesting and i'm kind of playing around with this idea of are we off base because we get stuck in our own little ecosystems here our own little echo chambers and I'm just on PlayStation's version of the video. It was put up this morning. It has a million views already. And 86, I'm sorry, 84,000 thumbs up, 6,000 thumbs down. So that's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's for PlayStation's YouTube channel. And obviously, like you said, it's on Sony Pictures channel. It's being gleaned and mirrored everywhere. Maybe people are into it. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, like, we're not into it. But I wonder if, like, casual gamer action movie person all of that if this is really just a, a a casual you know fishing rod you know f- a fly into the into the water and just dangling and see what, what you draw in and i guess i get a little scared that maybe this could give us a sequel but i don't think it's a coincidence that we're going to get the uncharted legacy of thieves collection on ps5 and pc at the same time this movie comes out I'm sure they're gonna have some sort of fusion, maybe around your fucking popcorn bucket. I mean, who knows? Well, but I'm interested to see how this movie does. I, yeah. I really am interested to see how this this movie does. And I'm just gonna look. I I, I didn't look in um in preparation because I forgot. But I wanted to see if we know yet how much this movie costs. Yeah, 120 million dollars. It's a big budget movie. Uh, Chris, do you think the movie will make its money back? I don't know. It it really all it it sounds weird, but I feel like it all depends on how. Like, whether or not it's far enough away from being seen as a video game movie or not. You know what I mean? Because, like, Assassin's Creed makes a ton of money, but that movie didn't do well. Yeah. And Warcraft is another massive game. That movie didn't <laughs> right. do particularly oh well either. So I like, forgot about that movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a lot. Video game movies don't have a great reputation, and they haven't for a long time. I think, uh, I feel like something happened recently that was kind of okay, but I can't. Oh, yeah, the, the, the Witcher show. You know, and and Castlevania, the 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 TV show, which I know uh, one of our one of our pay- one of our listeners hates when I bring up because he hates it. <laughs> but I think uh, I don't know. I, I feel like in order for this movie to do well, it, it almost needs to be seen more like a Tom Holland action movie than an Uncharted movie. If that makes sense, like it feels, yeah. it feels like people people shouldn't 
they shouldn't lean too hard into the video game aspect because I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, ah, that's going to be rough. You know, I'm interested too in, and Dustin, you brought this up about like, well, this doesn't happen here and this didn't happen like this in the game and stuff. And I, I think that is somewhat relevant. I mean, if you capture a person from this game that, or from this movie and they, and they start playing the games and they're going to realize, Oh, that plane scene is from uncharted three. You know, the, yeah, the, it's like there, there are just certain things that I think I appreciate what they're trying to do, but I, I guess I just don't really know the intent other than just the gratuity of having done it. Yeah. And, uh, that's a problem to me. That's that that that's kind of at the I, I like money, but things that exist just for money. I don't know. It, it it seems disingenuous to me. I'm not into it. All right. By the way, Chris, before I uh, I'm, I'll save you here. Um, although I don't think anyone's going to write in because everyone did hate Warcraft, but it is the highest grossing movie adaptation ever. Oh, really? It's because of China, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It didn't do well here, Four, I don't think. No, definitely not. Four hundred and thirty nine million dollars worldwide gross. Right, right. No award nominations and like a twenty on Medi- <laughs> on Rock Medi- <laughs> Right, right, right. So. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. <sighs> You're welcome. I didn't know if I was gonna do it, but I did it. I saved you. Good. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home. It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay. I was curious what you thought of what you guys thought of this. And Dustin, I wanted to throw this over to you. There's this there's this version of Resident Evil 4. Wonderful game. Beloved Resident Evil game. First released on GameCube. And it's coming to uh, Oculus Quest 2 imminently. I actually think it's out by the time this podcast will go live. And Armature, which has worked with Sony in the past on some ports ported the game to Oculus and people have kind of discovered that a bunch of stuff had been taken out of it. Now, I don't want to say a bunch of stuff, but notable things have been removed from the game and it's created a sort of hullabaloo about when you re-release a game, should you be nipping and tucking like this? And Capcom claims they're doing it to kind of be more in line with, uh, let's say, modern sensibilities. Nothing's too crazy. Like, I think that there's a time when, like, Leon tries to look up a girl's skirt. Like, there's uh, there's other things, and they, they remove that. I'm just curious if you follow this and what you think of the hullabaloo. Yeah, I saw some people talking about this because I think it was rumored before release. And now that it is out, people have confirmed that. I'm kind of mixed on this in that, like, this is a new version of a game. This game has been released 
so many times at this point, which I think this VR version looks awesome, by the way. I would love to play this. But it's, I mean, it's disappointing to see them change something and just something that is so established. It's like, do they think that like changing it now is going to, it doesn't change. This game is, there are millions and millions of copies of this game out in the wild. And so it's like, ah, it just feels like you are bringing more attention to it than um, trying to like, you're not hiding anything or like, oh, well, our version is, is safe. Like Mark Zuckerberg cannot deal with the, uh, you know, uh, some, some mild uh, titular talk or whatever. <laughs> so titular is in TIT, of course. Um, yeah. You understand. So I don't know. I think it's annoying they changed it, but it, I don't think this is worth like getting totally up in arms about. If they were going and patching all of the current versions of the game and modifying them and taking out all this stuff, yeah, that would be a way bigger deal to me. Uh, so I don't know. Do you, I just don't know if I maybe I would care more if it was a game that I was deeply passionate about. I think Resident Evil 4 is is awesome, but it's not a game that I have like a super big affinity for. But uh, I don't know. What what do you think? Just because I'm kind of since I've been seeing this, I don't really know. Like I said, I'm mixed. Yeah, I think it's I just think it's strange. And I think people are concerned because I think it's possible that this you know port could migrate the PlayStation VR. I mean, why why wouldn't that one day happen? And then we're going to get this kind of gimped version of the game. And my take on it is that I don't think anything that's been removed is germane to understanding the game or getting the most out of the game or anything like that. I'm just confused why people make assumptions about others' sensibilities as if they can't handle things. Right. And I, I was just because I was looking at some of the stuff that was taken out and there's a website. It's a, ha a substack. It's called Happy Warrior. And they went through and went through like all in granular detail what they think are what they've identified as five scenes in the game that are just changed. And they're weird. It's like there's a there used to be a an achievement, for instance, I'm sorry, I was looking at it here called Secure the Ballistics. And it was about rescuing the president's daughter, Ashley, like rescue the ballistics. And instead, it's just says Secure Ashley now, like as a reference, I guess, to her being maybe hot or sexy or whatever. Right. And a bunch of like sexist or what they would consider sexist dialogue had been removed such that there's like a body, literally a body axed to a wall. Right. And you know how like when you walk up to something in the game and it tells you like, oh, this is this or this is like kind of an internal monologue or whatever. It used to say it was like a woman like hammered to a wall or something. And it used to say, guess there's no sex discrimination here. And they changed it to say, guess no one's safe here. Little things like wow. that. Where it's like, why does that have like wh what what's even offensive about that? And they went through and they they so they granularly went it went. So here's a, a, a version of what is changed. Ingrid and Leon are talking and Leon says loud and clear. Somehow I thought you'd be a little older. So the subject's name's Ashley Graham, right? So they're going back and forth. And now it just says loud and clear. So the subject's name is Ashley Graham, right? So like he flirted with her. Yeah. And they removed it. Just like a little bit of context is. Is I think kind of strange, like they alter it again, where it says Ingrid says, Leon, it's been six hours since our last transmission. I was starting to get worried. Leon says, don't you mean lonely? Anyway, I started to feel dizzy, and then I guess I must have lost consciousness. Now he says, I started to feel dizzy, and I guess I just lost consciousness. Like he doesn't say, like, it's supposed to, like, why can't that that be there? 
Yeah. You know, I, I just don't get it. So, Chris, what do you think about this? I just think it's silly. I think I think it's silly that you can go and just murder a bunch of Spanish people, but like you can't flirt with a play. Like, I don't know. It's it's this whole thing is just very that you would do this to a classic, especially is especially egregious. At first, I thought it was, oh, it's a VR version of the game. They're trimming it down because VR is kind of, you know, a lot. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fair enough, I, I guess. Like, I, I wouldn't mind necessarily, like, maybe, like, a, an abridged version of Resident Evil 4 for VR. I think that's totally, you know, I think that, that would go over totally fine, especially as, like, a, an alternative way to experience and not, like, a proper remake. But the fact that they changed all these, like, weird little, you know, character moments, uh, to me, is just bizarre because as I was going through the lines of dialogue that were changed, a thing that I noticed is... Yeah, a lot of the lines are flirtatious, but a lot of the lines are also, like, the only parts in those respective lines that give any insight as to what the character is. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, right, the, like, like all yeah. that's left for Leon to say is literally just what's happening. Like, literally just, like, I'm relaying information to you. And that's literally yeah, no, personal, it. no personality, because it, it does bring up the question of, like, why does Leon necessarily have to be good? Yeah, exactly. Or like holy and decent. I mean, I'm sure he maybe he is. He's a fictional character because I'm looking at another thing they, they changed and it's to that ballistic th ballistics thing. So there's that character, Luis, and he says, uh, small world, huh? Well, I see the president's equipped his daughter with some ballistics, too. And then Ashley says, how rude. And I don't believe there's any relevance with my figure and my standing. Who are you? And now he just said and now it just says Luis says, Leon, small world, huh? And then Ashley just says, who are you? Yeah, it's like they just the, remove that whole thing. Even you know, the, like that's like a little personality. <laughs> yeah, right. the, the, just the the entire personality. A lot of these people is just going away. Meanwhile, you're blowing people's heads up and like suplexing people to death. It's like what what is the bar for what is okay is so strange. And again, I just think it's like really egregious that they did this to fucking like. Resident Evil 4, it's such a classic title that you would that you would be brazen enough to go in and change anything is a, is a, is astounding. So yeah. like I I don't I don't understand. I think it's a very dumb 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 change, which is a shame because Resident Evil 4 in VR looks awesome. Like yeah. it looks genuinely fun, but I feel like if I were to play that game if I never played Resident Evil 4 before and I played Resident Evil 4 VR, I don't know what kind of experience I would be getting because I'd be getting this weird, like, I don't know, like almost like a robot Leon. It's very strange. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily that important, but I do think it's important to just set a precedent of just like, hey, you know what? Don't, you don't go in and redub, you know, uh, fucking Pulp Fiction. You know, you don't go in and, and like redub uh, to kill a mockingbird like th these are classic examples of the medium and they should be restored as they are. And if this was even on the table that they would they would look at a game and they'd be like, that's not for modern audiences. We, we would have to change that. Then don't do the project. Simple right. as that. Well, that's what I, I think yeah, you sorry, bring up a, a good point, Chris, is like we would never tolerate this for. A, a movie or a tv show like uh right hey they're, they're coming out with a 4k version of mad men and uh they're removing all the instances where they disrespect women it's one disc or the blackface <laughs> episode which i think they did yeah. i think they did maybe remove from some syndication but 
Yeah. Which, <laughs> but 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 in the premiere version of Mad Men, if they do that, they're never going to remove that episode, right? From you know, you know. So I I totally agree with you, and uh, it, it kind of gets the worst at the end. There's a scene near the end of the game where Ingrid and Leon are flirting with each other, and Leon. Leon says, I've rescued the subject. We're returning home. And Ingrid says, you did it, Leon. Leon says, thanks. And then he says, you know, you're kind of cute without those glasses. Give me your number when I get back. And Ingrid says, may I remind you that you're still on duty? And Leon says, story of my life. They just removed that whole scene. Just because he asks her for her number? Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. I I just, it's a little much. So I think this will become more relevant to us if and when this port finds its way to PSVR or PSVR 2. And if it does, then we'll hope that this stuff will still be there. But Sony, frankly, has been kind of at the phalanx of modern day gaming censorship. So not that it's anything crazy, but they're doing it. There's no doubt. So thank you for to Peter Pischke over at happywarrior.substack.com for checking out that story. But on a higher note, let's talk about Suicide, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Trailer came out of DC Fandom. And uh, it looks great. Now, it's not gameplay. It's a story trailer. But I'm totally down for this. I, I think it looks really fun. And it's exciting to see what Rocksteady has been doing all this time since they haven't released a game since 2015, with the exception, of course, of their little VR experience for Batman in 2016. Dustin, let's start with you. What did you think of the uh, trailer for this? It looked uh, really fun. I uh, I don't know much about the Suicide Squad. I've not seen any of the Suicide Squad movies, but this had a very authentic feel to it. And to illustrate that, I'll just say that like the Avengers didn't necessarily have an authentic feel to it, which we've talked about the reasons why. But this feels I don't know. I don't it's it's one of those things that's hard to put your your finger on exactly, which I mean Rocksteady has had many, many years to to get this right, potentially even rebooted the project along the way. But I really want to see gameplay. That's what I'm most curious about. You have this group of, uh, uh, I guess their villains become superheroes or whatever, or have become the role of the hero. And so I'm very in particular wondering about this uh, shark gentleman. What kind of moves (laughs) is he going to have? Yeah. What kind of like, are you going to have? I don't don't know. This is because it is multiplayer or single player, right? Like it's one or the other. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it looks fun. I want, um, well, I guess, I don't know. It looks like it could be fun. So we don't know anything about the gameplay yet, but um, that's always, that's always weird to me. It's like, this is clearly an in-engine trailer. It's running at 60 FPS. It's like, just give us a little, a little something. But either way, I'm looking yes, forward to it. Soon enough. Yeah, they really have to tease this thing out. I mean, we know it's coming in 2022. I thought we had an interesting question here from, or a comment from Timothy Bryant. Remember, of course, if you support us on Patreon, you can submit your inquiries to our show, your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. And he says, hey, boys, I am pretty sure neither of you guys watched the DC Fandom event live this past weekend, but they showed a new trailer for both Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League and Gotham Knights. One going for wacky, zany, and humorous adventure with the Suicide Squad, while Gotham Knights seems to be taking a much more serious and darker tone, much like Batman himself. My question is, after watching these two trailers, has your opinion changed on which game you are more excited about? For me, it's still Gotham Knights by a long shot, or Gotham, Gotham Knight. But this last Suicide Squad trailer really did make me laugh and prove to me that I will be having a good time playing the game. Have a wonderful evening, boys, and keep fucking that chicken, but only with its consent, of course, Timothy. Thank you for writing in now. Friss, what did you make of the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League trailer, and 
also we can talk about Gotham Knights, which I I thought was less notable, but yeah, I'm happy to do that too. Yeah, it, it I didn't really I, I saw a little bit of it of uh, Gotham Knights, and I was like, ah, eh, you know, not not necessarily my thing. But I I thought the Suicide Squad trailer was wonderful. Like, that was like a genuinely fun. I almost forgot that I was, and maybe this could be a negative, but like I almost forgot that I w- it was a game. Looking at it, you know, it, it looked kind of like this. Uh, it reminded me of. Um, and I don't mean that in like a way that it doesn't look fun or anything. I, I mean in in like a presentation way. Like these cutscenes look really really good and really stylized in a way that made it look like almost like an animated film more than a video game. And I was like, this looks kind of good, and the choreography is fun. I love that they used uh, tick tick boom for the trailer. I thought it like fit really well. I have seen the Suicide Squad movie, so I'm a little bit more familiar with this this cast of characters, and I gotta say, it feels a lot less uncanny to me than than the avengers does the first suicide squad movie is terrible but the second one by james gunn is actually like genuinely a lot of fun i genuinely recommend like watching it but this looks awesome like evil superman like evil flash presumably and like all these like ridiculous character and there's blood too it looks really gory which is like kind of in kind of necessary for a game about the suicide squad It's, it's literally about a a group of people who are participating in a job under threat of getting their heads exploded. So you can't really have that without, <laughs> right? You know, it's pro- implied. Yeah, it's it's. It would be cheap if they did it like off screen. You know, like ah, not super cool. But I I thought it looked fucking great, and I'm looking forward to it. I do wonder whether or not the gameplay will be. You know, like what it, exactly it's going to be. Like I'm still kind of confused as to what exactly they're going for. But the story and the tone that they're setting with this trailer seems like uh, it could be a fun ride. So I'm definitely looking forward to learning more about it uh, after this trailer. Whereas before I was a little bit, you know, a little bit disinterested. It's uh, it's worth noting. I, I think this is interesting and goes to show you that I don't want to say casual fans, but I, I guess just more uh, disconnected fans don't really care who's making games because Brocksteady is by far the more talented team. Yeah. And their trailer for their game has half the views that Gotham Knights has. They were launched the same day, both on DC's YouTube channel. Gotham Knights is at 1.5 million and Suicide Squad's not even at 700,000. So just a little bit of an interesting insight there too. I assume one is going to come before the other, but they both come out in 2022. I think Gotham Knights is PS4 and PS5. Uh, Suicide Squad's only PS5. And, uh, I must just say, and as we exit the story for now, because there's not much more to say until we see more, but I am really into that universe. I really like it. I think that there's something really fun about Batman and his villains and then kind of the extraneous ways they touch these other, frankly, less interesting uh, superheroes in their world, like the Flash, like you said, Superman, all this. But yeah, I'm, I'm into this and I'm excited. So 2022 should be a really good time for for DC plus it'll be a really good time for WB interactive because not only are they getting those two games out but they're also getting the Star Wars Lego game out finally so they're going to have a big year of releases probably one a quarter and that should be good for them all right I wanted to point everyone's attention to a tweet I don't know if it was posted on other social media venues as well but Blue Box Game Studios the frustrating team that's teasing some horror experience as we've discussed They released the following statement. They say, quote, the following message is not addressed as a company, but as a group of human beings. The last few days have been difficult. 
Death threats are increasing online, but unfortunately also physically, and this has to stop. We have been dealing with death threats the past few months, and the last few days, we have been dealing with it again, especially physically. This not only affects us as a team, but everyone within our environments, other businesses, families, and everyone surrounding us. We want to work in a safe environment, and with job openings upcoming in the future, we want to offer a safe work environment for future colleagues as well. We won't tolerate this, and we will take action by providing authorities IP addresses, logs, and camera footages. We are fully aware of the negative situation that we have created, and we truly understand your frustration, but what we don't understand are the death threats. We understand and appreciate your interest for Abandon, and we are working hard on Abandon. We will just we will start a regular blog on our website that you can follow, and we will post any news on Abandon on our Twitter. But all we ask until then is to just give us space and let us work on Abandon, end quote. I didn't even know that this was still going on. Obviously, this is there's no excuse for that kind of nonsense. Yeah. But uh, Chris, what did you make of this message from from them? I, I, I understand what they're saying, but I just at, at the same time. I don't know, like, just go away, <laughs> right? Like, there's no reason for you to be talking about this anymore. Just shut off Twitter. Yeah, shut off. And if you and if you're dealing with real life threats that you and I have in my life, that they're scary. Then you have to deal with those in the through the proper authorities, and you typically don't want to bring more attention to it. So I just don't understand the intention. It's like just go away and come back when you're ready. And there, so I I don't want anyone to do anything further or at all to Blue Box, of course. But and I appreciate that they take take ownership of the situation that they find themselves in, but. I just found this peculiar. I was curious if you agreed. Yeah, I mean, typically, like, it's a general rule on the Internet where, like, you don't you don't publish like a tweet or like a like a Facebook post being like, stop being mean to me, you know, because it kind of incites people being mean. You know, it's, it's just kind of like a rule of the Internet. I, I, you never disclose it's almost like Superman tweeting like, boy, I sure I'm allergic to kryptonite. You know what I mean? It's like it's like one of those like, yeah, maybe don't. Maybe keep that under wraps a little bit right? so right, you can, right. like, mitigate the amount of, um, you know, threats coming your way. And by the way, I, I, I know we already said it. No excuse to do that. You're a really shitty person if you go out and, like, send death threats to anybody. It's, like, a really, like, abhorrent thing to do, and we don't support that on the show. Uh, right. I don't think I need to ask the other people what they think about that. But, you know, I, I, I also do think where it's, like... <sighs> I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm making excuses, but at the same time, it's like very, you know, fan heavy audiences and people who are like very passionate about certain things get a little overzealous and they have a tendency to obsess. And that's not a secret to anybody. We know this having, you know, existed alongside or in this industry for varying degrees of time and varying number of numbers of years. So when you do a project like Abandon and you promise this and you tease that and then you kind of, you know, string people along and then you you promise an update and then the update never comes and then there's radio silence and then it, it just seems like a really, like, poorly managed business. And... On some level, you got to be like, man, we really fucked up. Like, massively. And as sad as it is to admit, you got to admit that sometimes maybe like, not that the death threats are in this exact category, but you, you bring the negativity upon yourself in some, in some instances. And again, not excusing death threats, but what were you doing? 
What were you doing this whole time? Yeah, I don't understand. I, I forgot I still, this was even happening. No, I, 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 that's the whole thing is that I'm, I'm loath to bring it up even because I don't want to give it more attention. Not because I, I'm not one of these people. It's like, don't, don't give it any oxygen. I don't give a fuck. I'll give it as much oxygen as we want to give it. It's, it's, we're, it's, we're responsible for covering the news. Yeah, that is the news. But I totally agree with you. It's, I really feel like my opinion has gone from like, there's something fun about this, right? To there's just something wrong with this game. Like, or this project or whatever. You had this big thing where you were going to tease the game and you had this app that everyone downloaded and then you were about to roll out the update to the app and then you said you had like a last minute engine problem. Then it just disappears. That's it. I've never heard of anyone having an engine problem from a trailer, by the way. And then you just go, it's just, you're right, Chris. And it is important to segment these things, but it's also like the joke I've heard on many political shows where, there's this idea that, of course, we feel X, Y, and Z. Of course, you shouldn't say bad things or do bad things, send death threats, all that kind of stuff. And there's almost like a way where you can just say that in like one word. So you don't ha- even have to preface anything. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that is, I'm saying it now, right? But there's no doubt that this is a very peculiar situation. And you want to talk about something that I'm dying to know more about? Man, oh, man. Now... I will say, and Dustin, I'll throw it over to you, is that someone in our audience has talked with Hassan, apparently, played games with him and spoken with him, and they've spoken about this show and us, and he claims that Hassan says that Sony doesn't want him speaking to us, that he wants to do the show. But that, and Surprise. I'm, and, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, and I'll also say, by the way, because we're, we're working on getting um, a show going about spooling up a show about Wipeout Rush to the, the um, mobile game. We want to do an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus. And then we, we were dealing with the developer, very nice people. But then they, they messaged us and we're like, you know, well, we got to clear this with Sony and we'll get back to you. And I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So so we'll keep trying on that front. But with this, it didn't seem so much. It's like it seemed a little clueless in some way where. It's like, oh, I want to talk to him, but Sony doesn't want me to talk to him. And I'm like, but but I'm going to ask you really hard questions. Are you sure you want to talk to me? Because everyone you've interviewed that's, that, that have interviewed you in quotes so far is, have asked you ridiculous questions. Absurd use of time. So, Dustin, what do you make of, of what's going on here with Mr. Caraman? And, of course, Blue Box. I'm very confused in a lot of ways by this post. And I want to make sure I put this very delicately, but I'm going to be honest with the audience when I read this post. First of all, Chris Chris made it abundantly clear. None of us condone any kind of death threats, harassment, anything like that. That's wrong. Whatever that word is, that one syllable word, you just, let's just say that word. Yeah. (laughs) And then that way we don't have to have the preface. I totally get that. Right. So just what's, how about this? I'll just say what's interesting to me about this is when all of this was going down, I was on the Reddit trail following people finding any possible information about this game. And what continually came up over and over was how no one knew anything about Blue Box, their location, people that worked for them, whatever. So they're talking about stuff like physical threats happening against them. And I'm like... How does anyone even know? Like, that just sounds strange to me that no one during all of this crazy 
you know, hunt for the truth of behind blue box. No one ever was like, oh, this is blue boxes PO box. This is there where their where their studio is or whatever, which I mean, people don't know anything about Hassan even. And he is the most outward facing person. So I'm sure without a doubt that the blue box Twitter account, Hassan's Twitter account, uh, whatever, his PlayStation account, the known accounts. I'm sure that people have messaged him and said horrible shit that shouldn't have been said. But with Blue Box turning every turn, with well, turning every aspect of this crazy, it's not a release, whatever has happened, good or bad, into a marketing thing, doing this in such an outward fashion, which again, I agree with Chris, why would you post something like this? If you feel physically threatened, go to the authorities, which they said they did, which is good. But it's just weird to me, given all of these circumstances. And so I'm not here to make any uh, accusations about what's true and what's not. I'm just pointing out some of the strange aspects about this. Do you think that I'm... Uh, fair in this because i've been thinking about this for a few days and how i would address this because i don't want to be like yeah they're full of shit whatever but at the same time i'm like this is just strange it's just strange as with everything else with blue box though yeah i i think as someone who has gotten many death threats people threatening to meet me at conventions and kill me and you know obviously email and twitter i mean yeah people say insane things it's I get it. I get it. Unlike many people who want to pontificate about it, I totally get it. You know, especially when I was at IGN and there were times where I like was scared and, and didn't even go to some shows because it's like, who, who knows? You know, there's some crazy fucking people out there. It only takes one. I've, I've said that many times in the past. That's why, like, when certain people in the industry have been fixated on me, whether it was that guy Bob Mackie back in the day or uh, more recently uh, some other characters, it's like. I don't know if I should take this seriously or not because it's kind of crazy. Like I wouldn't do this to anyone else. So I can't react and be like, well, let me think about it from my, from his perspective. It's like, I don't know what that perspective is. And so I totally understand the fear and the, and the consternation that comes from that. But these guys are fucking doofuses at the same time. <laughs> and they got to just shut the fuck up and go away now. I'm so tired of wasting time on this and we have to, we are drawn to it. But there's so much strange about this game that I, I just or this whatever that I, I want to just know more. And, and maybe one day we will. But I still feel like this is not in any way, shape or form what it seems to be. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe it. And I'm just not going to until a later time. All right. A couple more things we have to get through really quickly. Rainbow Six Extraction's release date has probably leaked. We knew it was coming in January, but it looks like it'll come to PS4 and PS5 January 20th, 2022. Also, PS5 has new firmware. It's boring firmware, but you should go download it now so you don't have to do it later. And also, this broke just when we were recording. Uh, Among Us is finally coming to PS4 and PS5 on December 14th, about 18 months too late. But uh, we'll see how that does on the platform when that arrives as well. Before we get into what we're playing, I thought I'd go with Jennifer Luviano's inquiry here who says, hey, CDC, a random question. But when brushing your teeth, do you put water on your toothbrush and then t the toothpaste or the other way around? According to someone I know, I've been doing it wrong my whole life and you have to put water before the toothpaste goes on the brush. Sorry for the random question. Have a great week. 
I've known people that have done it both ways, Chris, but I'm curious what you do when you pick up the toothbrush. Do you wet it, then put the toothpaste on it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, that's what you, I do. You, as you, well. wet the, you wet the bristles, and then you. Uh, I, I always like rinse it like thoroughly. And for no reason, like it's not like I'm, you know, it's not like I'm like throw like playing darts with it or anything. Right, but, right. But like, I don't know. It just makes me feel a little bit more secure. Just like taking the toothbrush, giving it like a proper like rinse, and then putting the toothpaste on. Because then sometimes, like sometimes, I forget to do that, and then like I put the toothpaste, or I'm like really tired, and it's like all right, and fine, put the tooth toothpaste on, and then I put the bristles on my teeth, and it's it's like knives, you know? It's like whoa. Fuck, this is not comfortable at all. So I don't know. I've I've never intentionally, you know, just put toothpaste on a dry brush. Yeah, that's not gonna work for me either. What what do you do, Dustin? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's the obvious order of operations here. You you wet and then apply the toothpaste because if you if you put on the toothpaste first, and let's just say it's lightly resting at the top of the bristles, if that stream is too strong, it's just it could just plop right off into your sink and then there you got wasted toothpaste or whatever now chris brought up the the horrors of the the dry toothbrush we've all done this on occasion maybe you're on vacation or staying at someone's house like i know for me when i was working with the the handsome phantom boys at pax or something you're trying to quickly brush your teeth someone's in the bathroom maybe you just quickly put some on a dry toothbrush this is just it's horrible and every time I do it, I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. But uh, it always happens again. I want to just give a little bit of a hint, maybe for some of the newcomers to the show, newer newer listeners that don't know this, this Colin lore, but I'm a big fan of brushing my teeth in the shower, and I mm. highly recommend it. Mm. Um, just highly recommend it. Now, you know, I brush my teeth twice a day. I take my shower after I work out, and then I, I brush my teeth, and in the shower and then I brush my teeth before I go to bed outside of the shower so you can have it both ways but I highly recommend highly 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 recommend you brush your teeth in the shower and see what's see what it's all about all right boys let's get into what we're playing Dustin let's start with you says here you're playing a couple of games I leave it up to you to take them in any order you'd like sure well the main thing I'm still I'm obsessive about Death Stranding right now like absolutely that's great to hear going going hard where I'm building every road I am five starring every location and it is a slow process, but I've been very, very much enjoying it. But I've been talking about that so much. So let's talk about this other game that I checked out. This is a PC only game, but I have to imagine it'll eventually make its way over to to consoles as well. It's from uh, Devolver Digital and Daniel Mullen Games. Daniel Mullen also made a game called Pony Island, which is a game where you're playing this pony game that you find out is possessed by Satan uh, as you're playing. It's it's awesome. It's a very neat game. This game is called Inscription. It just came out uh, Tuesday, I think. And it's really, really interesting. It's a card game, sort of along the lines of something like Hearthstone, but it's not not exactly. It's different than that, but it's, it's similar. It reminded me of that in some ways. But what's unique about this game is that there is a game going beyond... Uh, going on above the table so in between rounds you can get up and go around this cabin you never see the the dealer's face he's just got these these crazy eyes and when you lose he basically is like yeah you're gonna you're sacrificed and then it restarts this loop so it is a roguelike aspect but what's really interesting is that as you're playing 
this game in this cabin with this mysterious uh, crazy eyes dealer, right, is some of the cards start to speak to you and give you clues on how to escape. And so as you play, there's this, like I said, this meta game around escaping. And I am just constantly surprised and um, just this is a very, very interesting game. I've never played a game quite like it. I highly recommend it so far. I don't I have no idea how far I am. I don't know how long this game is, but I just really, really enjoy a good, unique game idea. Like, I love the idea of like there's certain card games or board games or whatever, where there's this idea of something being played above the table so it's like this the game that goes on between the players or whatever and so this kind of this game is able to encapsulate some of that in a a video game which is just really neat there's even a third layer where it's like at the very beginning there's a it's supposed to be like booting up and there's a kid playing the game and you're playing the game so i i don't know there's so much mystery around this uh and i just like to see like i said creative ideas pony island that's also a really interesting game. If uh, if you if someone's interested in a a game about a pony that is uh, also possessed by I believe it's possessed by Satan. Maybe it's a, a demon, but real weird. Okay. All right. Uh, by the way, I want I was just looking uh, so so people understand it's inscription with a Y. Right. Right. Yeah. I N S C R Y P T I O N. If you're interested in that, of course, Death Stranding, easily found. Chris, let's kick it over to you playing a couple games as well talk to me about them yeah still playing death loop uh still enjoying it i i put it down for a little bit because i uh i have been uh, working on a video that i just put out actually like while we were recording it went live but i'm i still ha- i don't know if i have anything new to say about death loop it's really good it's really cool it's intriguing me it's intriguing to me i'm like slowly learning my way around it i, I i'm understanding this game more and more as i as i take put more time into it but something I dove into recently, which I'm, I think might be surprising to some people, uh, Scarlet Nexus came to Game Pass. Bro. So I was like, eh, might as well now. There's like no excuse not to try this. So I've been jumping into that. Very anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very, very anime. Very but... The and I'm still really early on. I'm in like the first two hours, but I find the action, like the actual gameplay part of it, genuinely really enjoyable and like kinetic and fun. Like I'm playing as the the pyro kinetic, uh, not the pyro, uh, psychokinetic lady. Uh, I think there were two choices you had in the beginning. Yeah, I I played as the other the dude. So yeah, I didn't even play as her. Yeah, yeah. So was he like more? Did he have telekinesis or was he a different thing entirely? Yeah, yeah, no, he used to like a telekinesis. They have like a, a similar thing where the, it's like control almost. Ah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. It's 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 very anime, and sometimes it gets a little exhausting. And it's like, oh my god, okay, Definitely. here we are. We're doing this trope again. It's like everybody's introducing themselves like in very stilted ways, and oh, oh man, <laughs> I'm in for I'm in for something. But the world is is. Uh, interesting enough that it doesn't put me off and the combat is like really fun i i really enjoy telekinesis in anything like it was one of the first things that drew that drew me to destroy all humans and then like control and then uh star wars um what was it the 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 
the Star Wars um, with Star Killer. Force Unleashed. Force, Force. Oh, Force. Un- oh, Force Unleashed. Force yeah. Unleashed. Yeah, like those. Yeah. Get, like any time where you can manipulate physics around you and use that to your advantage. I, I love that shit in video games. So like immediately, I'm like into it. But I'm still early on. I don't know if I'm going to see this game through. <laughs> I heard it's kind of long. It is long. Yeah. Yeah. So this might just be more of a dabble for me. I definitely want to finish Deathloop before I even get super far into this one. But. I'm not disliking it as much as I thought I would based on the things that I had heard about it. I always knew that I would like the art design. I like I like the style of the enemies, like how they're like bouquets and all these like really creepy looking like some of them are wearing like high heels and it's like really, yeah. really weird. Yeah, the design's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I love character design like that. And um, there is some quality of the writing that reminds me of like some of the shonen stuff that I used to watch when I was a kid, like. Just very much like these are our heroes and ooh, there that's the main hero and it's like isn't he cool and it's like he's probably a bad guy, but it's a little predictable. But like I, I'm enjoying it enough. Also, the cutscenes kind of threw me off. I wasn't expecting the whole like card thing where it's like a card of someone and then they they their mouth moves and that's it and then like another card of another character comes up. Yeah, it's it's quite but it's actually quite budget in yeah. some ways, which is which is funny yeah it's it's very jarring because a lot sometimes i feel like it's really not high budget but sometimes it feels higher budget than um than it is like when you're playing and when you're like fighting and then it gets to the cutscenes it's like oh this is kind of this is cute but i am liking it i think it's cool and we'll see how far i get along with it but uh still working on death loop uh and i'm really enjoying that cool yeah, I'm glad you're you're playing Scarlet Nexus. I, I remember texting you when I was playing it earlier in the year. I was like, I think you might actually like this game. But I found myself suffering from the anime stuff so much that by the end of the game, I was just skipping cutscenes. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Like, it was be- it was becoming so overwhelming. Even in the ending, I was like, I don't even care what's happening here anymore. I just want to get through the game. I wish the game let you play it a little bit more, a little bit more consistently, because it really is fun. The combat is very effective in Scarlet Nexus and and a lot of fun to play. So glad you're enjoying that. All right, for me, I'm playing a few things. So Castlevania Advanced Collection, I'm still working my way through. I beat Circle of the Moon, and it's a great game to play during football, so that's kind of what I'm saving it for. I bring in, like, a second TV into my living room and just plug it in, and I just play these games while I'm just watching football in the background. And so that's what I've been spending my time doing for the most part, but I started Kenna Bridge of Spirits in my bedroom on my PS5 a few days ago. just felt like playing it. I played it for, like, an hour it's quite endearing. It's really cute. And I like the little creatures and I like that. It's, it's got a, a very PS2 quality to it in terms of the way it feels and the way it functions. And what I really appreciated about it was it just gets you right into the action. There's very little exposition. The exposition is well delivered and effective and it lets you play and experience the game quickly. And I always feel like that's really important. Even if you're tutorializing, let people get involved and invested quickly. Actually, Scarlet Nexus is another game that does that pretty well. And uh, so shout out to Kenna. Want to get back to that. And I will. I hear it's only 10 hours long. And then I've been messing with Deathloop as well. But, you know, I'm just really frustrated with the game. It's easy enough. Like, it's not a it's not a problem playing it. But the presentation in the game is so chaotic that I have no idea what's even it, the game's even trying to say to me. Yeah. And I'm not saying philosophically. I'm saying literally like what it's trying to say. When you go to these various menus, they're nonsense. The way that they're all connected to each other. And it's like you find hints and clues and papers and maps and all this stuff. And it's a cool idea. But why does it have to be presented like this? I don't even know like 
how to make odds of it. I don't have any idea how to read it. Yeah, it's it's very it's very weird. And I think that that's why maybe the game is so easy is because really it doesn't matter what any of this says. <laughs> and that's kind of a shame because I think what we're what I'm finding out is I'm digging more and more more and more through it is that, yeah, there are a lot of cool hitman style one offs and a lot of thought and energy going into these environments, these four environments, basically, and the different times of day and the ways enemies are positioned. It's very cool. But I think that it's one of those games that's making it seem like it's deeper than it is. And I think the way it's doing that is by mystifying the documents and the, 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 the whole menu presentation. Not only what I was complaining about last week with just mouse style menus, which is just unacceptable on a console. But I was I was literally like, I'm like, I get frustrated when I don't understand things quickly. So I try to actively overcome that where I'm like, OK, let me like sit here and not just be annoyed and pick up my phone and start reading something else and just getting distracted. I'm going to really read these things. And I'm like, but it, none of this makes sense. Why does it look like this? It's like, it, it, here's a whole spread shot of, of conspiracy stuff and, and information about where everyone is. And then here's a menu where you infuse your weapons with this. And then you have to put your weapon here. And then it has to go in here. And sometimes you lose this. And sometimes you keep this. I'm like, I don't know, man. Why does it have to be so complicated? And so I think I was starting to, to figure out why the game to play is easy because I think that if the game was as hard as the game is obtuse people weren't going to like it very much yeah and uh so that's kind of my, my take on it it's still preliminary yeah but I, I, I can kind of I kind of understand why a lot of people aren't talking about this game I think I understand what, what you're saying because there were some some points where um like, a lot of what I appreciate is in, like, the little moments that you find of interactivity and how things work together. Like, I remember, like, there was this one place, I think it was, like, at a, do- or, like, an, like, a, like, a hangar or whatever, and there are these canisters of gas that, you know, if you're in a firefight, sometimes they'll get hit by, like, an enemy or something, and then there'll, there'll be green gas coming. I was like, ah, oh, that's weird. And then... As you're making your way up through the hangar, you real you look down, and you realize that the whole bottom floor is full of that green gas, and you're like, "Whoa, what the fuck? That's crazy!" And then you shoot at it, and then the whole thing explodes. And it's like that's so cool, and like like these little like moments of like, "Wow, that like you could potentially go through this entire level or this entire area without seeing any of that if you played it like stealthy or like, or if you just went straight to the target." you could potentially miss that entire level of interactivity. And I, I really like the little things like that that I'm finding. But I also am with you in the sense that I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing necessarily. I know my goal, but I don't know necessarily how to get there in a way that doesn't feel ultimately kind of frantic, you know? Because sometimes I'll I'll plan this whole thing out and I'll get found out or whatever. Like somebody will spot me and it's like, ah, shit. Well, now it's just a, a clusterfuck. And then I, I killed the dude and I got his thing or whatever. But now it's like, wait, how much time do I have left in the day? Do I need to? Oh, I need to infuse this now, right? Or it's like, all right, so I'm going to go hunt for those like little glowy things. And it, it, it does feel kind of uh, the pacing feels really off. And the, and the way that the game will like stop Sometimes it'll be like, hey, by the way, I know you're playing Deathloop. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. And if you're trying to figure out how to do this, this is how you do this again. And this is how you do that over here on this menu. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, it's a lot. Space this out a little bit because it's like it it is overwhelming. 
I like it despite that. But I, I, I'm with you where I, I totally understand why this is like, this is probably like, I think what I like about it is that it is so inaccessible and that it does kind of force me to kind of like, all right, I got to grapple with this menu and I got to, I got to, I got to grapple with like, all right, like I got to remember these details. And it's like, I like that aspect. I like that it's asking me to think in the way that it's asking me to think. But part of me does wish that it was like a little bit less obtuse because it is so fun to actually play. Like, I almost wonder like if it would have been better to just have like more of a Hitman style linear game than something that loops like, like it does. And like having to worry about all these like weird materials, like infusion and, and all this other extra stuff that really only exists because it's a loop kind of game. But yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think, I want to see more of it because it's fun. Yeah. And it's stylish. But I feel like it's just a little incoherent. Mm. So I wanted to take a quick question before we move on from Jonathan Rice, who says, hey, CDC, I hate to admit this, but I have never played the original Bioshock. And after last week's discussion about game value and Chris saying he would pay $200 to play Bioshock for the first time again, I'm going to play it. I was going to ask Colin, how would you go after this platinum? Should I play through it twice, once on easy to enjoy the story and then go back on the higher difficulty to get the trophies associated with the higher difficulty? Or just play it once and the highest level and try to get the platinum on one playthrough. Regardless, I am excited to dive in. Keep up the great work and thanks for the great content. I would just do it once. It's hard, though. I don't think you, you can. You have to play the game on hard and you have to do it without Vita Chambers as well. So, which means you can't die. Now, that's easy to circumvent. Very, very easy to circumvent in Bioshock because you can save anywhere you want. So, you just have to basically save constantly. But I would do, I mean, I would play it that way. Now, if you don't care about trophies, then just play it straight up. But if you care about trophies, then you're not going to want to play it twice. So it's a, it's a big slog. And there are some missables in the original Bioshock. But I platinumed it twice. I've got it on PS3 and PS4. So have fun, Jonathan. And thanks for writing in. Boys, let's get into the news in earnest here. Number one, 2018's God of War, a seminal PlayStation 4 exclusive, widely considered one of the console's best games, is the next AAA first party title to migrate to PC. As revealed by developer Santa Monica Studio on the official PlayStation blog, the release date isn't too far off. You can play it on PC, including on Steam, beginning January 14th, 2022. The post reads in part that the team's, quote, primary goal when bringing God of War to PC was to highlight the exceptional content the team created and leverage the powerful hardware that the platform offers to create a uniquely breathtaking and high-performance version of the game. As such, the game will run, uh, end quote, as such, the game will run at true 4K resolution with completely unlocked frame rates and even ultra-widescreen support at a resolution of 21.9. The game will obviously support mouse and keyboard, but it will also natively support both DualShock 4 and DualSense as well. God of War, which debuted on PlayStation 2 in 2005, was in dire need of a reboot by the time 2018 rolled around and Santa Monica Studio delivered. The game has surpassed a staggering 19.5 million units sold, making it one of Sony's best-selling first-party games ever. And its migration to PC should come as no surprise to listeners of this show since we told you months ago it was next in line. Interestingly, it doesn't appear that recent ac Sony acquisition Nixes has been involved with this port. Not a huge surprise considering the purchase only happened months ago while this project has likely been in the works internally for far longer. Note that God of War on PC will also act as excellent bait for those who don't have a PS4 or PS5 as it will tease God of War Ragnarok, which is planned for launch on PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. Dustin, what did you make of this news? Uh, this is this came as no surprise to me, but I know that there were some people that really thought that this game was just one of those that would never come over. But I, I felt like it was pretty obvious that 
Horizon was meant as bait for Forbidden West and therefore that they were going to do the same thing with God of War. And I think that they saw great sales through Horizon and they want to replicate that. Yeah, this is unbelievable, Colin. Uh, Sony giving away another one of our exclusives. How are we supposed to win the war? Okay, <laughs> without without God of War being stuck on old hardware. How are we supposed to do it? No, this is fantastic. This is awesome. This is... Well, we've been saying, Colin, you brought up that it's fantastic marketing for the next game. And yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait to see it running on like a, a 3090 at 4K and, you know, crazy frame rates. It'll be awesome. And there will be a whole new group of people that can play this game. And it's awesome. So that's great. I love people playing awesome games is good. So seeing this move over to PC <laughs> It's fantastic. I got one big problem, though. It's not Bloodborne. That's the biggest problem of all. It's just it's not Bloodborne. Well, patience. Patience. And, and so we're just going to keep waiting. I'm going to stand down for now. And uh, me and the other hunters will just sit quietly. Well, no, we're not going to be quiet. Uh, that's for sure. But we'll keep waiting. I actually don't know about Bloodborne's PC port. I mean, it's coming to PS5. I don't know that it's also going to PC. My assumption is that it, it will. Yeah. yeah. Maybe at the same time. Hold on. I got a little fart coming. Did you guys, did that come through? I feel like I, I heard it. it. We I, I didn't hear quiet. anything. We'll have been, uh, we can boost that up. Let me put a time yeah, mark. I'll up. make sure it's boosted up so for everyone Yeah, here. please boost that up. Thank you. <laughs> Let's see. Boost. Jesus Chris, Christ. what do you think of uh, God of War coming over to uh, PC? Not a huge surprise. We've discussed this quite a bit on the show, but it's been fun watching the meltdown of just fanboys that just don't understand that this is just going to happen. Yeah over and over and over and over again until the point occurs one day where a triple a ps5 game will also be on pc first party at the same time and then mm. now i know jim ryan says that that's not in the cards we've heard that that's not in the cards but that will one day be in the cards if you asked sony five years ago are you going to bring your games to pc they'd be like no way so i think things change now what what's your what are your thoughts chris on uh, god of war migrating over in january uh yeah i mean i think um i i wonder like i i think what well for let me just back up a little bit i think this doesn't surprise any of us we've talked about this extensively like i think we even called this like way before it was even remotely teased on this show but it makes me curious as to like when they're planning ragnarok for you know so january you figure like you want to get people in and you want to tease them because the ending of Ragnarok does tease like the sequel directly like Thor shows up it's crazy it's a really big moment really cool and to know that you can f immediately follow that up in the same year you know will probably entice a lot of people but I wonder when they're planning it for like I wonder like it, it won't be March you know what I mean or maybe it will be it's just an interesting kind of like yeah it, it, I, I understand what you're saying the timing is interesting I don't I think March would be a huge mistake yeah yeah I think so, too. <laughs> I think falls or like, you know, late summer, yeah. probably like September or something. But I do think um, I do think I think this is great. Like, I've always been pro PC and, and just like I, I've just been an agnostic kind of person in general with consoles. So, like, it makes me happy to see like a bunch of new players on a different platform be able to experience something that I think is genuinely fantastic. You know, like the original God of War 2018 is a fantastic game that I think most people should definitely play 
at least once. It's a really good experience. And to know that it's coming to PC and like running it like you run it like 2 million frames a second, you know, on your, on your GTX 6000 million 26 XD, you know, like it's pretty, it's pretty cool. <laughs> XD, which is also a smile, is also like the yeah. space, right? <laughs> it's a nice little emoticon for you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think the, the outrage is a little bizarre like i think i think it will fade as this continues to happen i think god of war was a pretty big one i think horizon was a little bit more forgiving because it was like that was like man horizon's like the new generation of exclusives so like that going to pc is like ah whatever you know it's new but god of war is like rooted in in playstation so this is probably going to be one of the the harder ones to get past that that crowd but that crowd should go fuck themselves anyway. Like honestly, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm just so annoyed by this because it, it's we believe in. Well, I don't want to say we believe. We believe. I think people that play on PlayStation Five believe in the ecosystem, and believe that playing there is fun and brings them joy, and that isn't going to stop because the games are no longer locked there. It just means that this free money, basically, that they're manufacturing on PC can be put back into other games that will come to PlayStation 5. And even as I predicted that they will eventually come to both at the same time, maybe late in the generation, that still doesn't stop you from coming to PC. This is just, or playing your games on PS5, rather. This is just the inevitability of where it's going. And you either have a lot of leverage in your first party like Nintendo does where they just don't have to do it, and you sell 40 million copies of every game, or you understand that your players are going to be on PC and are going to want to be there. And they're probably looking at the books. The bean counters at Sony are probably, their eyes are probably wide open, just massive because they're saying like, we've sold 19.5 million copies of this game. This game has made hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. And you're just going to put it on this other platform now where we have no investment in the game. It's just free money. And they're probably like, this is awesome. And it's probably what's necessary because this is the balancing act. Remember, Sean Layden says, and has been ringing the bell for a while, that games are just becoming too expensive. If Sony is forced to accept this 50, 75% increase in game pricing and the AAA space where you're going to need $200 million to get a game out the door, well, guess where that money is going to come from? Uh, the PC player. <laughs> yeah. So, because that's free money. And I think that they're really wise to go after it. And I think that it just buttresses PlayStation more. There is no doubt that people are going to play God of War and then be like, oh, shit. I really like this console. I like this ecosystem. There's a bunch of stuff I can't play, including any of the old God of War games on PC. Right. Yeah. So I think that it, and I bet you it worked with Horizon, too. I bet you I bet you people have bought a PS4 or PS5 or are interested in doing it because they played Horizon on Steam. And not for nothing. You can go look now. I, I might change by the time this publishes or goes free for everyone. But God of War is the most pre-ordered game on Steam right now. Game came out in 2018. So. It is what it is. Yeah. But Evan Betterman wrote in and said, hey, guys, God of War 2018 is officially coming to PC. I'm definitely excited to play it again. But I'm curious why Sony felt the need to drop this news in the middle of the week out of nowhere. What do you think about their messaging for PC ports? Why not include this news in their last presentation? Like with the Uncharted bundle, is this just haphazard or is there a strategy here I'm not seeing? I had no problem with the tenor of this announcement. I don't know. 
I don't know that you want to send the signal that we're going to be having PC announcements per se in PlayStation, you know, yeah, yeah. Nintendo Directs. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the <laughs> just say PlayStation Nintendo Directs. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to necessarily get into this weird thing where you set a precedent where it's like, "Ooh, PlayStation Direct is coming." <laughs> I forget, I forgot what it's called. State of Play. Yeah. State of Play, <laughs> State of Play is coming, you know. I wonder what the next PC game is going to be. It's like you don't necessarily want to set that expectation. Uh, and I think announcements like this are totally fine to just drop kind of out of nowhere. And in fact, I think that that those types of announcements have the most impact, especially when you're talking about a game that like, I mean, there's no there's no surprises with God of War 2018. We've played it. You know, it's it's it won like a, a million awards and like people love it. And it's it's a it's one of the. IGN's greatest game of all time (laughs) you know so it's not like it's this new thing it's just like hey you know this is coming to PC by the way I don't don't think you needed necessarily like some crazy some crazy announcement of like hey stay tuned to PlayStation's uh, Twitter account tomorrow at noon like I don't think you need any of that for this no I don't think so and I I, I agree and I, I think that PC announcements should really if they want to send the right message, it, it should really be such that, listen, these announcements are just going to be dropped from the sky. It's not our import, It's not as important to us as our console. And that's just the way that you signal to people that everything's fine if, if they're worried about it. But I personally take the signal of these games coming to PC as a good sign. Because I said with Xbox, and it's just the truth, that they brought games to PC because they were desperate. PlayStation got to do this at their own pace and for their own reasons. And so they get to kind of guide it how they want as opposed to saying like well we're going to bring everything to pc just like with microsoft like everything's coming to game pass can't take that back that's never going to be undone now you know that's it yeah sony didn't have to make that move and so maybe people should look at it as a look at it as a strategic placement as well but al garza wrote in i want to throw this one to you dustin he says hello alt-right colin dusty for dustin furry Furman, and young dumb and full of cum chris <laughs> jesus <laughs> with the release date of God of War coming to PC announced. I was wondering what your take is on this delayed release strategy. Is this, is this truly the best way for Sony to release these games, or should they be releasing these games to PC and PlayStation day one? As someone who owns a PS5 but primarily plays on PC, I personally don't shy away from double dipping, and if they released on PC day one, a cross-progression feature would be fantastic. I don't think there is very much crossover between the PlayStation and PC gaming communities, so they wouldn't be undercutting themselves very much. Releasing day one would mean striking while the iron is hottest at a full $70 price point. What say you? Uh, I think, in my opinion, Dustin Alec is missing a huge point here, which is that Sony doesn't own a PC marketplace, so they only make seventy percent of the game, the the seventy percent of the money sold, yeah, uh, or made on that platform. So, first party games in which they make everything on PlayStation, one hundred percent of the money, it's a huge undercut to them. Even if you're only getting ten percent of your sales on PC as opposed to PlayStation, that's ten percent of those sales each of them losing 30% of potential revenue. So that's the reason you don't want to do that. But do you think that it would be just from, you know, not worrying about the bean counters? Do you think that that would be a good strategy for Sony? Not right now, for sure. Right now they're trying to sell as many PS fives as possible, which I mean, they're doing very easily. And in fact, are having a hard time because they can't supply enough of them. I don't know. Colin, you mentioned that you think that PS five games will eventually be day and date. Uh, with PC, I think you it's it's possible maybe at the very end of the generation, but 
I don't know. I could see them waiting a long and I, that feels like a last resort option to me. I just don't know what their advantage would be. I mean, I think that right now that the the pace in which waiting three or four years once they've milked it dry on PS5 and then pushing it over to PC sounds great. And I think that that's an effective strategy. You got to be careful if you're releasing day and date just because, you know, with Microsoft's approach with Xbox, Xbox is no longer just about the hardware. It's about the platform of Xbox, which we see Sony dipping their toes into this idea of the PlayStation platform, right? But I know a lot of people that are not dipping into a Series X or something like that because they have a PC, but they are getting PlayStation 5. So I understand that there's there's some PC players that are just going to be PC players and they're always going to be just PC players. I get that, but I think that there is a significant amount of the market that is willing to go to where the exclusives are so they will continue to keep those games console exclusive for uh, a set period of time. I guess the question is when will we see the first PS5 games pop up on PC? You have to imagine it would be two or three years after release. So maybe 2023, maybe uh, like something like Returnal coming to PC and who knows, maybe Colin, you mentioned like the idea that they can pick and choose. Like we've, we haven't seen ratchet and clank come to, to PC. Maybe they're just like, yeah, ratchet and clank is something that is effective for us on, on consoles exclusively. So we're not going to bring that over to PC. Same with Spider-Man. Like, I don't know. Do you think that PS4 Spider-Man and Miles Morales will make its way to PC before Spider-Man two comes out? Yeah, I've thought about that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know, because I think that the the answer to the question from Sony's perspective has to simply be when does losing 30 percent of gross revenue not matter in comparison to opening up a new market for our games? In other words, when are we just going to make more plus one by having that situation? And I don't know. I don't know when that occurs. And I don't know that Spider-Man is he. Because people are like, well, they don't have this game and they don't have this game. It's like, well, actually, almost nothing is on PC. So really, like, they can start anywhere they want and pick and choose and be deliberate. And so I don't know that it, it makes a lot of sense to bring Spider-Man over because it is so tethered to PlayStation, but so was God of War. So I just don't, I don't know. I feel and like... I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I feel like God of War is far more tethered to uh, PlayStation than Spider-Man is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's true. That, and that's what I'm saying that that I, I that gives me pause because mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's probably some licensing locked up in that, too. But I'll be interested to know more. And I, I like I said, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these planning meetings because Nix's was purchased for a reason. And they haven't been activated yet unless they've worked on this and we just don't know. But I feel like they would have said something. So because I think that would have been a little brought a little more legitimacy to the project as well yeah but anyway we'll see what happens number two i like the story a canadian company named dbrand has gone up against sony in one in more detail the peripheral manufacturer has made new external plate replacements for ps5 that circumvent any sony patents and trademarks thus inoculating it from litigation promised by playstation lawyers here's the rub according to website video games chronicle 
Dbrand began selling $50 so-called dark plates for PS5 earlier in 2021, providing an alternative to Sony's white-only PS5 consoles. However, Sony didn't like this, and they successfully threatened Dbrand to the point that they killed the dark plates, which according to VGC were sold out through mid-next year. But then Dbrand came back with a vengeance just days ago. What did they do? Well, they redesigned their outer replacement plates for PS5 so that they have a vent, and that they claim forever stops Sony from ever threatening to sue them, nonetheless actually sue them ever again. In a bold letter posted to their website, the Canadian company stated in part, quote, while we appreciate all the armchair legal, armchair legal advice that filtered in over the weekend, the reality of this dark plates dispute is quite simple. You can't successfully sue someone over an alleged design infringement without a registered design patent. Sony did not have a registered design patent for the PS5 side panels when we launched dark plates or, or for many months following the release. We didn't think they'd ever get one. They did. Here we are, end quote. The redesign, quote, successfully closes the loop on this dispute and neutralizes any future infringement from Sony, end quote, the letter continues, even offering to license the design to Sony itself, though the company would likely, quote, find that our rates are outrageous, end quote. According to VGC, an emboldened emboldened D-brand is now selling multiple colors of replacement plates for PS5 with impunity, all due to a true rarity, standing up to a corporation in the face of unlimited legal resources. Sweet Baby Ray wrote in and said, hey, CDC, Sony (laughs) threatened to sue D-brand over their attachable dark plates for PS5, but Dbrand has countered the threats with a redesign of their product. What do you guys think of the redesign? Do you think Sony will continue to pursue litigation? And what reasons do you all believe Sony has for being so aggressive about Dbrand products? Thanks for the fantastic content. Dustin, I'm curious what you uh, made of this ordeal. I, I, I really enjoyed reading about it over the last few days. A company, it's, it's, I've never, knock on wood, I haven't gotten like a cease and desist in my life, but I imagine it's pretty pretty intimidating to get a letter from Sony saying um, we're going to sue you if you don't stop doing what you're doing. And it's scary, not because they're right or wrong, but because a company like that has permanent legal resources. They don't have to spend money on a firm or anything like that. This is the kind of shit that they live for their lawyers and they're ready to go and they're activated. And that I think is scary to receive that letter and that threat. And I think that they, they thought about it and were like, you know what? Fuck this. We are going to push this to the limit. And they've been pushing it apparently all year by getting a cease and desist and saying like, you don't even have the appropriate patent to send us a cease and desist, which is in, 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 in and of itself a pretty ballsy thing. And then Sony went and got the patent. And then they were like, okay. And then they released a plate with holes in it, basically. Yeah. I, I just think it's a remarkable story. What do you think, Dustin? You guys have to check out brand's website where they detail this because it's it's awesome it's really funny like i'll read like down near the bottom part of this plate that you buy you can get light strips to change the color of the led uh like those two lines at the top that go along the curve and it says if you've made it this far down the page without buying anything you're probably a lawyer good news for us bad news for you there probably aren't any newly approved patents on the custom led strips middle skins or new dark play 2.0 colorways service another cease and desist if we're wrong like that's a paragraph on the actual on the on the page so i think it's very interesting and fun that they stood up to sony i don't necessarily really like the way it looks they they clip the top wings off of it and i'm i don't know i'm not super fond of it but the question is why did Sony go after them? You, there's tons of off-brand stuff 
accessories, yeah. whatever you can buy for a PlayStation, but they went after these guys. So does that mean that Sony is planning on releasing their own custom plates for the PlayStation five? I feel like that would be, it would be the absolute easiest money for Sony to make charge like 30 bucks, maybe even more. I don't know. Release a black version. You're selling someone two pieces of plastic and I'm sure that the that the market cost, the, the cost to manufacture those would be so incredibly low. So that's what I'm wondering. Do do we expect Sony to release their own faceplates? I don't know that that's what their intent is. Hmm. Because while I agree with you, I think what they would rather do is just sell new consoles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so I, I think... I would love to say, yeah, I think that that's what they're going to do. I mean, I think that would be so cool to say, like, listen, the PS5 is the PS5. We hope it lasts you 10 years and flavor it up however you want. But the reality is, is that they know that people shit themselves for all these random special edition consoles. And by making it easy and by allowing it to be easy, uncontested. I think they were maybe afraid that they were sending the wrong signal. But I think it just kind of backfired on them because I think that they just went after the wrong company. Now, I must say that I think dbrand come kind of comes off as D-bags in this situation, too. I think they sound like douchebags. It, you can't imagine that a mega corporation like Sony is just going to allow this to go on without checking into it. But I don't appreciate when mega corporations use legal heft to push things around when you'll talk to many lawyers and they'll say like, it's clear that they're wrong. We just don't have the money or the fucking power and the, the, the time to deal with this. You settle. It's wrong to do that. And I think Sony was intending to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Chris, what do you make of this entire situation? I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's amusing. I'm on their website right now and they got a really nice like website. Yeah. Type deal. Like the, like the whole like scrolling animation thing is like, this is really cool. I actually do kind of like the way it looks. I actually, I just don't like the vent. I do like that they clip the wings off. I think it looks a lot nicer. Yeah, I agree. But like, if you scroll down the website, you can actually like see like it animating like the, the changes slowly. And like this part where they get rid of the wings and they just before the vents come in, it's like, I think that's a really nice looking machine. But um, overall, like, I I don't know. I, they do seem <laughs> like dicks, but at the same time, I kind of like the... I like the attitude, especially when it's coming after, like, especially when it's in response to, like, a big corporation like that. Like, I don't know. There's something nice about it, even if they might seem a little bit <laughs> jerkish. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm not going to grab one of these, though. And I don't I don't believe that they're I don't believe Sony's intent is to make customizable faceplates themselves. I, I don't know if they've really ever really. Have they ever done that? Like, because even when back in the day, back in the 360 day, when I can remember like a lot of custom face plates for Xbox yeah, 360, I don't really yeah. remember any of them being particularly like, I don't remember them being first party. Like, I remember kind of like Mad Cats or like all these like weird kind of other companies jumping in on that as opposed to just, you know, proper first party face plates like that. Yeah, like I'm trying to remember, like I remember Gears of War Xboxes and shit like that, but never, I don't remember the yeah plates. never a face plate and even back when they were doing like the skins you remember like the ps2 skins where you could like yeah, yeah. those weren't sony no I, no i have a third party skin on my ps3 slim yeah which is a, a podcast beyond uh one yeah it's just like basically a very sticky substance that just peels off yeah so these are always yeah. almost always like third party 
things. Right. PlayStation Magazine during the PS1 era was famous for giving you lid covers. Mm-hmm. And you would just put them on your PS1's lid. And they would always be different. And that was always fun, too. I, and then you would just start putting them on top of each other. I had like a half inch fucking thick <laughs> thing on top of my, my case, I think, at some point. But thank you uh, for the insight there, boys. And Sweet Baby Ray, of course, thank you for writing in. Chris, now this next one is for you. Number three, Ubisoft, it appears, is indeed making a Splinter Cell game. Website Video Games Chronicle reports news that appears to be fairly obvious, though we had no confirmation out at all outside of some ill-conceived partial revivals on, say, mobile platforms. VGT, VGC sources, pardon me, tell the website that, quote, the title is in an early phase of production, end quote, and is being made not at Ubisoft Montreal, but somewhere else, though where is unclear. Indeed, other details are completely scarce, but the sourcing is good, with VGC being one of the premier journalistic outlets in the industry. There are seven core Splinter Cell games spread across PS2, PS3, and PSP. The original Splinter Cell came to PS2 in 2002, while its sequels Pandora, Tomorrow, and Chaos Theory followed in 2004 and 2005. Essentials came to PSP in 2006, at the same time Double Agent came to PS2 and PS3, while 2010's well-liked Conviction skipped PS3 entirely in 2010. The last time we saw Splinter Cell was in 2013, when Blacklist came to PS3. Splinter Cell is one of the most important stealth games in the history of the industry, and while inspired in some way by the likes of Metal Gear Solid and Siphon Filter, no doubt influenced the stealth games that came after it, from the Hitman reboot to Dishonored. Chris! Anthony writes in and says, Hey CDC! This one is mainly for Chris, but I love all my dads equally. Chris, are you buying the Splinter Cell rumors or is Ubisoft just yanking our proverbial chain yet again? If they are true, what would you like to see changed to modernize Splinter Cell or was it just fine the way it was? This, Man. Is, uh, this is very Chris-centric news, so talk to us. This is very Chris-centric news. I, I am happy that Splinter Cell lives again. I am happy that people are excited for Splinter Cell. I am not the only person who's been asking for Splinter Cell. You know, Splinter Cell is massive. It's, it is a huge stealth game and granted like this stealth genre isn't as huge as like you know fps or like general act or like mmos and or whatever but like you know splinter cell is massively important and i i would just argue that it's like one of the most important franchises in game especially because siphon filter and metal gear are long gone like those are not (laughs) if they do come back i would imagine they would be not particularly well received and I got to be real, I don't know if this is any different, because this is modern day Ubisoft pitching a modern Splinter Cell after several consecutive failures, which to me sounds like they're reaching for Splinter Cell out of desperation. I could be wrong. I could be misinterpreting that. Maybe this was in the works for a while. I know that there were rumors floating around for a while. I know that a news report came out yesterday talking about how, like, oh, they were working on a prototype of something Splinter Cell related before E3 2021. And it's like, all right, cool. But it feels desperate at this point. And even though I I am excited to see excitement around Splinter Cell, I don't know if I'm all that excited at the possibility of Ubisoft making it. I don't think it would be particularly hard to do. All you would need to do is, like, make a stealth game they're pretty easy to do i think generally speaking especially when you have the framework of splinter cell behind you you have all of these you know these identifiable pieces of art you have this identifiable style you have this character that people really like i don't think it would be particularly difficult but i just don't know if i have faith in ubisoft to make a good splinter cell now and that's what bothers me the most it's like this is like a monkey's paw thing right where it's like give me splinter cell under modern day Ubisoft, <laughs> you know, it's like, ooh, 
it's a hard sell. And I don't know how I feel about it. As far as, like, what I would like to see change to modernize Splinter Cell, I think you just need to modernize the controls a bit. Like, make sure they... Like, I think Splinter Cell Conviction actually played, like, really, really well. And I think Blacklist was pretty solid as well. It just wasn't stealth-focused as much as Chaos Theory or um, Pandora Tomorrow or the original Splinter Cell. I, f- I feel like you take that level design with the control that you had in Blacklist and, and Conviction, and you have a really solid game on your hands. The question is whether or not a studio at Ubisoft can make it without throwing microtransactions or making it some weird fucking MMO FPS thing that, or, or some weird battle royale that nobody asked for and then they shut it down three three days after they announce it. I don't know, man. This is... I have a, I have a lot of conflicting emotions on this. Well, it's... Uh, I, I'm just excited because it's real now. Yeah, it is like, real. VGC is a great source. I talk to those guys um, behind the scenes once in a while. They know their shit. So this is uh, this is a the, an interesting story, and I, I, I'm intrigued to see who might be making it, mm-hmm. and we'll go from there. But uh, Dustin, do you have anything to input here? Yeah. Well, I was thinking about when we when we were talking about Chris's ability to wish wish or to bring will things into existence, and Colin, you mentioned like the gods were, you know, be careful what you wish for here because now. Splinter Cell Universe or Splinter Cell Infinite confirmed. Uh, every <laughs> create your own Sam Fisher and uh, compete with or team up with three other secret agent whatever. In, yeah, it's a, uh, a, it's massive... a card. Uh, it's a card game. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I'm I'm skeptical. Also, like just like we said last week, we had a big conversation about uh, Ubisoft falling off. Uh, pretty seems like it's getting exponentially worse when we see every new announcement it's like what are they doing so yeah hopefully you know hopefully it's good though and the other thing too is like stealth games are decidedly very classic like the 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 design philosophy around stealth games really just flies in the face of modern day game development like there is really no way that i can imagine where you can shove a battle pass into a stealth game or uh you know some of these like weird microtransactions into a stealth game or like even experience points into a stealth game like i literally cannot fathom how you would do that especially with a a game like splinter cell which is so so focused on just stealth i i wonder how they're going to get around that because you know they're going to try because that makes a ton of money when a game has microtransactions and, and season passes and, and battle passes or, or what have you or random skins. So I don't know, man, like I, I hope that this is like a proper like, you know, you buy it and it's complete stealth game where you don't got to pay for, you know, night vision <laughs> or like whatever the fuck. But part of me is worried you know, because Ubisoft just hasn't been making particularly good decisions lately. Um, and, and not even with, with franchises that in modern day are a little bit more important to them than Splinter Cell, you know, like they took Ghost Recon and just totally fucked it, you know? So, and, and, and just the general Tom Clancy IP and just totally like did some weird Frankenstein shit with it. And you got to wonder like, what could they do to this thing? So I'm excited that it's real. Very happy to see other people excited for it as well. I'll reserve judgment until I see it, but I am concerned 
Um, and that's, I think, where I'll leave it. Fair enough. Now, ironically, this next one's for you, Dustin. Number four, Elden Ring is one of the industry's most anticipated games, which is why it's a shame that it's been slightly delayed. Originally slated to launch on January 21st, 2022, the game will now come to PS4 and PS5 on February 25th, giving developer From Software a little more time to polish the game. The announcement came in passing on Elden Ring's official social media feeds, which also revealed that the game will receive some sort of closed network test in November with details to follow. Elden Ring, developed by Bloodborne, Dark Souls, and Sekiro Studio From Software, was originally revealed at E3 2019, a collaboration between the studio and Japanese publisher Bandai Namco. Respected director Hidetaka Miyazaki, director of Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and Sekiro, is again in the director's chair, though the game is perhaps extra notable because of the involvement of Game of Thrones author George R.R. R. Martin, who apparently contributed to the game's lore, world-building, and more. Otherwise, it seems like it's shaping up to be a punishing title, just like Miyazaki's previous fare, though we'll have to wait until February to know for sure. Henry Morgan wrote in and said, Gentlemen, just wanted to check in on Dustin and make sure he is okay, since FromSoft announced Elden Ring's delay. I'm disappointed, but trust that they will deliver in the end. Has he signed up to participate in the network test to try to ease the pain, or will he hold off until the full release? Dustin, you're, this is, must be your most anticipated game. I, I, I'm curious to know what you think. It's not a huge delay. It's about a month. And these month delays are becoming more common. I think people are a little more confused and concerned because it is knocking it right into this really bad release time. But I don't think a game like this suffers from that. I think this is a game that others should be scared of, not because it's going to sell many millions of copies, but because it's just one of those games that's going to absorb everyone that's interested in the games and in the genre. So I think they can kind of go where they want. So I'm not too worried about it from my and as an analyst, but I'm curious, you as a prospective player, what you're thinking. Yeah, it's not a, a big deal to me. A one month delay is you know, it's disappointing slightly. But I think one of the one of the delays for Persona 5 was like two or three months or something. And that was much more uh, a much more difficult pill to swallow. A one month delay. That's it's fine. It's no big deal. Miyazaki can take a sweet time. We'll be there waiting, ready to go. As far as the network test, I am signed up for it. I haven't decided if I get in, whether or not I will play it. Part of me feels like because I'm so connected to the Dark Souls from software community and people now are starting to know me for loving this game, people are going to message me and send me stuff from it anyway. So... I'm kind of thinking just like, fuck it, just play it because people are going to send me shit anyway, which is yeah. fine. Um, I, I think True. I would prefer to wait, but it's not that's again, it's not a huge deal either. But yeah, this is my most anticipated. Very, very excited. Chris, do you have any input before we move on? No, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with what, what you opened with, where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a really crowded month, but I do think it's one of the more dominant ones. I think that I think Elden Ring is probably going to dominate a lot of the press around that time. So it's. Every other game that's in that month is probably like, ah, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, this, this is an interesting game where it's not a commercial behemoth, but is a is a guaranteed critical darling. Yeah, I think. And thus will take up much oxygen. But Daniel Murphy wrote in and said, hey, guys, first time writing in Elden Ring has been delayed one month. And it seems that many games have been doing this recently, such as Kenna Bridge of, Bridge of Spirits, Battlefield 2042 and New World. Cyberpunk was also delayed one month, but obviously it didn't work out well for them. Is this new and are developers just experimenting with a one month delay or has this been happening for some time? 
Thanks for the great content and take care. The way I kind of interpret this, guys, before we move on, because I, I did want to speak to what Daniel is asking here. My, my theory about this is this is simply a pressure valve, a, a, a release, like a valve. And they are butting up against and have a series of tasks that they need to do, bugs they need to squash as they polish and patch the game. They go past gold and all that. And what I think this is is just them saying, listen, like we have the same amount of work. And we're just going to release the valve a little bit to just give us a little to reduce the pressure and give us a little more time. And I think that was kind of planted in my head when The Last of Us was delayed a month, which people might remember the original one. And Naughty Dog said that, and I've said this many times, so I don't mean to be redundant, but that that game, that that month changed everything for the game. Like they said, it, it brought it from an eight to a 10. And so... I trust that developers can find the time to use 20 or 30 extra days. And especially in a patching world where patches are just the norm, there's no stopping. So I don't think it's bad to give them more time to breathe. I wonder if it will even affect, by the way, the gold date. It might not. They might just be, they might still go gold early and say, we're just going to use that extra time to really have a great day one patch. So not that out of the ordinary. It is happening more. You're right. But. I think it's a good sign when games are not delayed more, in fact. Yeah. Number five. Publisher Electronic Arts is opening a new studio with promising talent at the head. The studio, quietly announced on Twitter and without a name or a logo, is being read, led I'm sorry, by Marcus Leto, who Halo fans will know as the series' longtime art director, beginning with the original title. His role in the Halo world crescendoed when he directed 2010's Halo Reach, before developer Bungie went off to create Destiny with publisher Activision, which he co-art directed before leaving Bungie to create V1 Interactive, a studio that would go on to work with 2K Imprint Private Division on the failed RTS FPS. Uh, I'm sorry, the real-time FPS Dis disintegration. I don't think you could say RTS FPS. Maybe you can. No, it, it was an RTS FPS. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. I don't think that's redundant. Leto was president of V1 and acted as the game's creative director as well. In his new role at EA, Leto will be creating a studio focused on FPS titles and based out of Seattle, which is a great location to poach talent from other teams via. Chris, what do you make of this? This is uh, someone that, sh that you should be familiar with. Yes, I, I am familiar with Marcus Leto. That's kind of uh, wild. Yes. Leto is like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But he, yeah, that's that's very interesting news. Another EA studio focused on FPSs. I wonder like, because they already have Battlefield, you know, so I wonder if it might be a little bit, a little bit redundant, but I guess if it's not for Bethesda, it won't be super redundant or even xbox in general at this point <laughs> right <laughs> you know but this is cool i always thought that uh marcus like his art his eye for art in particular is very very good like destiny even destiny one had like a lot of problems but the art design was not one of them and and you know halo reach was beautiful and even the original halo trilogy was was pretty immaculate as well I wonder what this will be. I wonder what role he will have. Like, I wonder if he'll, you know, he's he's studio head, but I wonder if he'll kind of dabble in the art as well. Because you feel like you, it almost feels like you would want to, right? If you're the head of the studio and this is what you do and you're good at this, you might as well just like take that opportunity for so. yourself as well. I, I don't know. I, I, I think we'll have to wait for the studio to flesh itself out a little bit more because, you know, any number of talent can come from X studio, Y studio. Like, oh, this dude from Naughty Dog made some game and then you go check it out and it's like, <laughs> I don't even know, it's like two stick figures like shooting each other in the head. And it's like, ah, well, you know, there's clearly like a, a team is 
A, a development studio is a team of people, and it's it's a lot of layering people with a lot of layering talents, like joining up to create something very spectacular and very, you know, very impossible for any individual to do on their own. So this is exciting, but it's a little early to be super, super enthralled by it. But I, I, I'm pretty confident that whatever this game is going to be, it's going to look awesome. Like visually. Yeah, yeah I would imagine so. It'll have that hallmark of, of his particular touch. And again, I just think it's a great idea to be in Seattle. I think it's a great place to poach talent. Yeah. And it doesn't always work out that way. As we said, it didn't really work out very well for the initiative, which I think tried to breach Santa Monica's development scene to, I don't know, less success. Now, I don't know if that was because people got scared and started paying their people more. I don't know what happened there, but nonetheless, we'll keep an eye out on this team forming. I was a little, I thought it was a little strange just because why wouldn't you have a press release? So again, a logo, a name. I don't know. Like, because people are going to say, like, well, he's trying to attract talent. And I'll just say again, he doesn't need to attract talent. They know how to find talent. Yeah. They're not stupid. You know, th- this is Electronic Arts and a man who worked at Bungie. I think <laughs> that they understand how to find talent. He was with Microsoft, all the rest. So I, I hate that excuse where it's like, we got to let people know we exist. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> Number six. It should perhaps come as no surprise that Polish developer slash publisher CD Projekt is delaying the PlayStation 5 ports of both Witcher 3 Wild Hunt and Cyberpunk 2077 Wild fleshes out both ports. An especially important thing for the team to do considering the disastrous state Cyberpunk 2077 was released in on PlayStation 4 in December of 2020. You'll recall that it was so bad that Sony took the unprecedented step of removing it from sale completely, only adding it back in recent months once it was sufficiently patched. The news of both ports delays come from a via come via a boring so-called regulatory announcement on the company's official website in which they state in part quote the management board of the company hereby announces that based on recommendations supplied by persons supervising development it has decided to allocate additional time to both projects end quote Cyberpunk 2077 is now expected to launch on PlayStation 5 in the first quarter of 2022 while The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt will follow in the second quarter of 2022 The Witcher 3 was first launched on PS4 in 2015 and was critically and commercially acclaimed, putting CD Projekt at the top of the heap of a growing number of talented WRPG studios. However, the team completely blew its goodwill with Cyberpunk 2077, which, while ostensibly very good, was in an unacceptable state at launch on PS4. That they're taking more time with both ports indicates that they understand the immense gravity of the situation, since they really only have one chance to get these ports right and rebound someone or perhaps even completely. Now, Dustin, there's no doubt that they're not in monetary problem. They're, they have no monetary problems. In fact, Cyberpunk has sold like 15 million copies or something. So it's an incredibly successful game. But uh, they have a lot riding on these releases as far as their, I don't know, reputation. And with, with con- I would say with console players specifically, and I would say PlayStation gamers especially. Yeah. And uh, so I, I feel like this extra time is is good, and I'm glad that they understand the gravity of the situation. What say you? Yeah. It's a bit of a weird scenario where they can't release it like I think the plan was always that they were going to just release these next gen versions and not at least I don't think they're planning on charging for them. But the value of the game has gone honestly to basically as low as possible. They were selling copies of Cyberpunk for ten dollars just a few months ago, and I think you can still regularly find it for for that low but uh as you said colin it's one of those things that they they have to do this 
they have to release this version of the game. And it's a... They can't ever really fix what happened, right? They really never should have released these last-gen versions of the game. Those are never going to run well, in my opinion. They're never... They just never should have even existed in the first place. And that's something they talked about is that they got caught while developing this game, or at least they claimed they got caught where they were started development on these old systems, but then they got ambitious and eventually started to outpace them. The decision should have been made to cancel those. It wasn't. Just imagine a world, man, thinking, thinking like, okay, imagine they did cancel those last gen versions and it didn't release last year, which then it would have made people very, uh, upset that you know people were getting anxious for this game but just imagine the different reality where cyberpunk comes out it runs fantastic on next-gen consoles i guess they probably still would have had a problem in the fact that this game was not marketed correctly and that during e3 stuff they promised they didn't promise but they portrayed a very different game like a completely different game and it ended up being uh something entirely different but I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, it's something they have to do, but when it comes out, are, is there going to be a, a bunch of people rushing to play Cyberpunk on, on PlayStation 5? I'm, I'm sure there will be quite a few that are, are still interested, but I feel like the ship has sailed. What do you think, Chris? I don't know, man. I think... I don't know if they can... <laughs> they're in such a weird position where, like, I, I don't know if what they do with these games is really going to be enough to kind of distract from how catastrophic cyberpunk 2077 would like even if the witcher 3's next gen port has like ray tracing and runs at like 140 frames a second which it, there's no reason why it shouldn't <laughs> really i just don't think it's enough to really counteract the fact that your game was taken off the playstation store <laughs> You know, and even some of the design aspects of the game, like, look, I, I enjoyed my time with Cyberpunk 70, 2077. Like, I enjoyed sure. it. There were some pretty major flaws with it, even on the next gen versions, which like and then the PC version, which like looked beautiful and like ran pretty well. You know, the main issue, like one of the biggest issues that I, I remember coming across was that like cops would just spawn. They would just like appear. Like by like around you or like behind you. No, it wasn't like some GTA thing where they would like spawn in the distance and they would like come at you like in like some weird AI path. They just appeared. And that things like that didn't seem to be, oh, it's a bug. It seemed to be like they just didn't finish this. So like they need more than just like a next gen version of what was already there. They need functional elements of the game that were just not present at launch. And didn't even seem to be even on a higher end platforms. So like you can only do so much. And, and I, I, I wonder if their reputation is just done until they put out something completely new, because I just don't know if a patch or a next gen version of a game that already came out is going to be enough to kind of get the majority of people back on their side. It, it might help for some of the, you know, hardcore CD project red fans, or maybe some of the people who, like me didn't necessarily care that much and enjoyed the game anyway but we'll see like i think the delay is fine i think it's all right i just uh, it's it's hard to talk about these guys now man because all i think about is literally that fiasco yeah i i they really fucked up i i don't know if it's gonna 
stay with them forever or not. But until they come out with something actually like properly new, I think it, I think it will. It might. Yeah. I, I I'm curious because I know that Gwent was kind of a miss for them, too. So it's not like they didn't. They had like all these successes. I I don't know how much more they can afford to mess up further. And I must admit that I'm totally interested in cyberpunk. I just I'm not going to play it until I'm sure that it's where it needs to be on PS5. I'm not even going to waste my time. It's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, I mean, it's going to go on to the backlog at some, for a game to be gotten to at some point. I have no doubt that that game is very good. But like you said, Chris, I, I think that it's, it's soured a lot of people's opinions on the studio and their output. Yeah. A couple more things to get through quickly here. Number seven here in North America, Nintendo Switch was the best selling hardware, uh, game hardware for 33 consecutive months, which is insane. However, that streak has officially been broken as of September of 2021 because in the U.S., PlayStation 5 outsold Switch for the first time ever. Switch has sold more units for the year, however, while PlayStation 5 has gained more revenue. When it comes to games sold in September here in the U.S., the charts were dominated by sports games. Madden NFL 22, FIFA 22, and NBA 2K22 were the three best-selling games of the month across platforms, with Tales of Arise slotting in at four, Diablo 2 Resurrected at five. That game apparently has the worst trophy list ever, by the way. Deathloop at six, Ghost of Tsushima at 8, Miles Morales at 9, Life is Strange True Colors at 10, and Sonic Colors Ultimate at 13. When broken down by platforms, these were the top 10 best-selling games for the month of both PS4 and PS5. Madden NFL 22, FIFA 22, NBA 2K22, Deathloop, Tales of Arise, Ghost of Tsushima, Miles Morales, Diablo 2 Resurrected, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, and Life is Strange True Colors. The best-selling games of the year so far across platforms in the U.S. include Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, Madden NFL 22, MLB The Show 21, and Resident Evil Village in the top four slots with Miles Morales at number six. And finally, number eight is a wrap-up. Website Push Square reports card game The Solitaire Conspiracy comes to PlayStation 5 on November 3rd. 2D, 3D fusion game Demon Turf comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 4th. Upcoming Sherlock Holmes game Chapter 1 comes to PS5 on November 16th, with a PS4 iteration releasing at an unknown time. Mech Game Mobile Suit Gundam Battle Operation Code Fairy comes to PS4 and PS5 in complete form on December 3rd, Though the first of the three volumes of the game can be purchased from November 5th, with the second volume available as of November 19th, and Dragonflying game Century Age of Ashes, which is being compared to Layer, comes to both PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. The website also reports that Capcom's Monster Hunter World has now surpassed 20 million units sold. Website Komatsu reports platformer Treasures of the Aegean comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 11th. Licensed game The Smurfs Mission Villief comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 16th. Rhythm Game Clang 2 comes to PS4 and PS5 on November 17th. On November 17th. Both Blood... I'm like, can't speak today. Both Blood Rain <laughs> Revamped and Blood Rain 2 Revamped come to PlayStation 4 on November 18th. Oddworld Soulstorm Enhanced Edition comes to PS4 and PS5 in late November. 2D action game Infernax comes to P- PlayStation 4 in the first quarter of 2022. MMO game The Day Before comes to PlayStation 5 on J- uh, June 22nd of 2022. An action platformer, Joe and Mac, Caveman Ninja, comes to PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. The website also reports the action game Pocky and Rocky Reshrined has been delayed and will now come to PS4 in the spring of 2022, while horror game The Invincible has also been delayed and will now come to PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in 2022. Finally, the Danganronpa franchise, first popularized on PSP in Japan and Vita in the West, has surpassed 5 million units sold since launch more than a decade ago. All right, boys. I got through that one. I survived. You did it. You made it. Tradition dictates we end each episode of Sacred Symbols with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience on Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. Remember to support us there to get early ad-free access 
access to sacred symbols plus, etc. We'll begin with Jude Brandon, who says, what's up, ultimate high school level podcasters? Do we as as a whole underestimate Sega as a player in the gaming space? I know it's easy to look at Sonic and cringe, but they own so many interesting and valuable IP that I think they could easily be a major contributor for years to come, especially with teams like Atlas and Creative Assembly. Thanks as always for the incredible content. Thank you, Jude. So I, I'm going to throw it to you first, Dustin, here, and I think you have more to say about this than maybe either of us because you play Sega games, I think, more than us, particularly through Atlas. But I think the acquisition of Atlas was a really shrewd and quiet acquisition, and I think that you could have easily seen another reality in which Sony or someone else was interested in that. And I think Atlas is one part of the equation that has changed Sega's outlook. I think a part, another part of it is this entire notion of the revival of Sonic, which is happening successfully and slowly, but successfully movie game re-release game. I mean, Sonic colors was just re-released and it's one of the best selling games of the month. So they have that going as well. And God, uh, Ryu, God, Godoku Studio and the Yakuza franchise has been another huge buttress for Sega moving forward. In addition to a lot of the older stuff that I think that with varying levels of success they've celebrated, they have Master System, Genesis, Game Gear, Saturn, and Dreamcast that they can mine for first party and second party games and the option to re-release these games as consoles, which I think would be really fun in an NES style console. So I think Sega has a lot to be excited about. I think the loss of the Yakuza series director and producer is a massive blow, and I have no idea why they weren't able to secure those guys. But apart from that, I feel like Sega is looking like a new player. And as we watch as we watch Ubisoft fall, that leaves a vacuum for someone else. And maybe it could be Sega that fills it, although I think that it'll be more likely a much bigger entity like Square Enix. What, what do you say, Dustin? Yeah, I, I'm looking through a, a list of Sega IP just out of, you know, just to see them all laid out. And there's so much there's they have like just a, a gold mine of stuff that they could tap into if they wanted. I was just thinking that obviously Fantasy Star lives on through Fantasy Star online. But man, I feel like they could do like a really good Fantasy Star five. Yeah, like a traditional JRPG and use the Fantasy Star name like that. I feel like there's so much potential written all over that. Like a lot of random, really like the games that have cult followings, like Jet Set Radio is a game that mm. they have. Shinobi uh, is one of them. Wait, was they this have, yeah, uh, Shinobi? They have yeah, Condemned as well. Yeah, which, dude, which that game was awesome. Condemned is awesome, and it's like really weird that that just sort of stopped because I th- I thought I remember playing Condemned when it came out and thinking like this is probably going to be like one of the next big par things, and then it just kind of wasn't, and it's like really big missed opportunity but they do they do have a lot like right. in their in their rolodex another thing about i guess this is with atlas in particular but also sega is that they make at least in japan a lot of money through multimedia stuff uh whether it's the persona anime they've done persona movies they have persona manga you know they have persona everything uh, and they've done that with some of their other stuff as well. So you have to imagine that's probably uh, a significant chunk of change. But it's funny now because I'm thinking about some of the the IP. This list is confusing because it lists Bayonetta as a PlayStation IP or not play a Sega IP. That's clearly not it is. the case. I, I think. Well, how does that it work? Is. 
the, it's Bayonetta 2 and Bayonetta 3 were funded and published by Nintendo. But Bayonetta, remember, Bayonetta just came to PlayStation 5. Right. PS4 and PS5, I guess. So they own the IP. I just think it's it's a very similar thing to what happened, I think, with um, Sunset Overdrive and everything where it's or Mass Effect, where it's like publishing rights for an individual game, but the franchise remains in their ownership. So, yeah, they do own that stuff. They own a lot of hmm. like they what's interesting is that they I think there's a I love that you brought up Fantasy Star because that's a big one for me yeah. where Fantasy Star 4 was 1995, I want to say. So it it's insane that they haven't returned to that franchise with a single player game now i know fantasy star on the line is big and all of that but maybe with the 30th anniversary kind of slowly coming up maybe they plan a reboot or a fifth game in fantasy star because fantasy star was so unique for people that haven't haven't played it 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 felt so unique at that time as a 2d turn-based dragon quest style role-playing game but it's science fiction and, and and it's just we're so embedded with Dungeons and Dragons style role playing games that it just felt so different. And mm-hmm. I, I've always been confused why they hadn't returned to that. But um, Chris, what do you think about the future of Sega and and their potential here to kind of rise into the the echelons that perhaps they used to uh, stalk? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's great promise. I mean, they have enough to work with, even stuff that's you know might not be uh the biggest deal now or maybe stuff that might like if you put it out today might seem like a new ip entirely like why not you know you have all these series that you could potentially rejuvenate i have a i don't know if this would really help them but i've always been a crazy taxi fan i don't know if that has any yeah. hell yeah dude i don't know if that i love crazy taxi crazy taxi is great i don't know if it necessarily has the legs to exist again in in the same way that it did in the past and and still be worth people's time it's a fantastic arcade game but like they've got so much you know they uh you know altered beast and and stuff like that and personal like i i always gravitated to sega for like the arcade stuff like the stuff like where you'd like you like afterburner and stuff like where you'd be like ah i'm sitting on a jet ski and this is ridiculous and there was actually like i was uh in burbank before i moved there was an arcade cabinet in this barcade that I would go to all the time that everybody would circle around. And it was just this ridiculous, like, you know, you sit in like a thing and you shoot around and it was just like, you're on this like tropical Island being chased by like Cthulhu's and like, oh, it's absurd, like nonsense. And I was like, this is really fun. And it's like weirdly like way more high quality than everything else that's around here. Like, I wonder like who made this. And it's like, you look on the side and it's like, it's a Sega thing. So like, they know how to make fun shit. It's just a matter of like whether or not they can delve into their back catalog and be smart about what they choose to bring back because they have the design chops to to do cool shit for sure. Definitely. And they've matured, as I said, with Yakuza. Yeah. Yakuza. It's so funny with Yakuza because that franchise was irrelevant in the West for many years. It started on they ported pretty much every mainline Yakuza from the beginning. So. And as time has passed, even some of the interstitials that were missed have been ported as well. And that was a very niche franchise. I ran IGM PlayStation like it wasn't a big deal. We reviewed the games. We had a freelancer do it, I think, and like whatever. And it's they've really incubated it into this notable thing. And they, as I said, were very smart to get with Atlas, not because of the publishing stuff, but really for Persona team to to kind of secure them. Creative Assembly, as he brought up, um, Relic, I think, is another Sega team. So they need to, I think, they have all of the, they have everything. They have the heritage, the IP, the know-how, 
the reach, the relationships. They have a great relationship with Sony. They have a great relationship with Microsoft. I think they just need to keep everything balanced. And I think we will see Sega continue to strengthen. But it is so fun to watch them come back because they're like the Atari that managed to do something. Yeah. Like Atari got the shit kicked out of it. It still exists, but it's not anything like it used to be. And Sega has kind of always remained relevant, even when it was getting the shit kicked out of it. And it's quite, quite a testament to the connection it has with audiences. Totally. And, and also, I forgot this entirely, but Creative Assembly uh, made fucking Halo Wars, too. Right. These are, these are good studios, man. Like, <laughs> Definitely. And yes, insane. Sega has shown that they're willing to basically have their studios make first party or second party games for others, too. So, yeah. The relationships are, I mean, Persona is essentially a second party game yeah, right? totally. at this point, I would say. But yeah, you're right. They have these studios that they're willing to kind of pimp out and it's, it's good. It's good for them. All right. Matthew O'Sullivan wrote in and said, I've been watching the industrial unrest at places like John Deere and Kellogg's with great interest. Things seem to have changed in that corporations are desperate for staff and perhaps not so easily able to brush off strike action as they used to be because the working class have more options than they did pre-pandemic. Do you guys think similar strike action and general unrest is going to happen amongst various facets of the gaming industry? Given the exceptional profits most publishers have made over the past 18 months, surely there are some out there wanting more of a share of that wealth. Love your work. So I must say, I must preface this that, and I've noted this, I think, on the show over the last couple of years, but I've become, I've always been a populist in some way, but I've become much more of one, I think, over the last few years to the point where I'm kind of digging these strikes, you know, I'm like, good, <laughs> fuck Kellogg's, you know, yeah, fuck John Deere. You know, I was, I was reading about John Deere where they were literally taking their white collar salaried workers and putting them on the line and they're like fucking everything up. And I've long said that the, the, the blue collar and the working class are downtrodden in the United States, that that race and sex, gender, all of that stuff is a distraction from class. Yeah. And I bring this up because. Gaming doesn't have a class problem. If anything, it has the reverse class problem. It's a high class industry full of educated people, lots of white people, et cetera, and so on. The things that you might not look at as being equitable in our modern society. And that that is relevant because while there are some union drives and there are some companies that have different experiments, like we bring up Motion Twin all the time with co-ops and everything, there's too much. These people make too much money to to strike. It's 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 like a step down from when professional athletes strike, which has happened in the past. And what's interesting about the John Deere situation is that they're they're it's technically a wildcat strike, I think, because their union representatives did negotiate a contract that then their own people were like, no, we don't want it. So the power is shifting and it's awesome to see and i love it Mm -hmm. but i just don't know chris that gaming is working class enough to reap the benefits which by the way are already kind of instilled in the gaming industry like if john deere employees were making what people at naughty dog make uh they wouldn't be striking so yeah that also is relevant i think to the equation but what do you think Do uh, do you feel like there might be some through line between the the unrest we're seeing and maybe seeing some games get fucked up as well I don't I don't think so. I feel like if there was uh, a strike happening at a, at a developer or a publisher, it would have happened already. You know, I feel like that's really the simplest thing. Like people, if you're really unhappy with your work, you will strike. 
as you are seeing people do a lot right now. And the fact that nobody from any developer has organized enough people to do something like this, as far as I'm aware, like, I don't know if you guys maybe are familiar with anything that's happened in the last year or so that might be analogous, but I haven't heard anything about any strikes in the games industry. Um, that should tell you kind of all there really is, you know, it would have happened by now or it would be happening currently. Yeah. And also, I just don't think the framework is really there for it to even happen in any broad way. And yeah, Dustin, I mean, I think the argument contrary to what I'm saying is people look at SAG-AFTRA and others and they're like, these are or like the NFLPA. I mean, it, the NFL, the NFL has a players association, a union where none of them make less than a half a million dollars a year. Right. So there are obviously unions that take care of very rich people. And so people will look at and say at that and say, like, well, other entertainment industries have unions. So the video game industry would strike or would have more leverage both with white and blue collar workers, but the the structure isn't there for them to do so. And I'll also say that because we our manufacturing is overseas, we don't have to worry about any of that in the gaming industry, which is for better or for worse. Like the Kellogg's people can really fuck everything up because they're literally making your cornflakes in like Iowa, but they're not making your PS5 in Iowa. Yeah. So right. you don't have to worry about that getting all muddied up. Although that would be great leverage for them too. And that's also a good sign of why you don't want shit like this being made overseas you want it to be made here but nonetheless yeah dustin what do you what do you make of this whole scenario yeah i think that i'm with you colin in that i just don't know if it applies since the video game industry is much more white collar i can imagine that i don't know it's so competitive uh the the industry i'm sure that people are afraid of this idea of of striking and that there are people that would line up and and happily take <laughs> take that job and, and and you know maybe it's happily taking it out of ignorance not knowing or something like that but i don't i don't know the thing that i want to know and colin this would be something that since you have a lot of contacts is that we always hear about like from you know the 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 sensational articles whether it's from schreier or someone else about how there's murmurings around the industry about uh unionizing and stuff like that and it's very clear that jason has an angle and I've always wondered, like, let's see what people at studios are saying. Is there actually a strong demand or is this really just the 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 megaphone of, of one journalist talking to specific people? Maybe he's right that there is a lot of murmurings about this, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious if there's a lot of, I don't know, normal developers that are 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 totally fine and like, yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know. To me, there's always two sides of a story, um, but I, I'd, I'd be curious if it is as in demand or as uh, talked about as some of the the industry would lead us to believe. Yeah. And I, I also just feel like it's the relativism of who's got it worse is, is important right. in labor. And the people that are making your games don't have it bad. The people that are mining the silicon that the chips are made out of that are in your PS5, those are the guys that have it bad. And it's not to say we can't solve all of those problems. High tide lifts all boats. But I must say that the the labor unrest in the United States is, I think, kind of awesome because I, I want to see the blue. I want to see the blue collar worker, the the working man, the rust belt worker, the truck driver, the delivery man, the me- mechanic. I want to see them get their their due, you know? Yeah, it's so easy for me 
as a college educated white collar business owner that makes good money to sit here and fucking wank in the air and say, you know, no one should be doing anything. But the reality is, is that I've actually the more I guess the better I've done for myself, the more populous I've become, because I think I've become less scared of what the consequences would be. Right. And I don't know. I, I come from a blue collar family, so it's my generation. We're the first to go to college. So it's it's uh, it's something that strikes me. But I just think that we have to remember that as hard as crunching on a video game is and as much as those people should be compensated and often are often gratuitously. So the people in West Virginia that are in coal mines right now are the ones that I'm more keen to worry about or the people in Ke- that are, you know, at Kellogg's trying to fuck everything up because they're not getting their money. Their money's worth. It's like, okay, it's cool. You know? Yeah. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on it though, Matthew. Thank you for writing in. Ollie G wrote in and said, hello, fatherly Colin and beautiful sons, Chris and Dustin. They are beautiful, aren't they? Hmm. It was reported that Xbox did not hit their goal for Game Pass subscribers. Do these results support PlayStation's stance that Game Pass is not sustainable long term or even short term? There are rumors that PlayStation has a Game Pass response. With the recent report, do you think PlayStation should pursue their version of Game Pass? So, Chris, I want to start with you. It was reported. So it's actually shout out to the people that got these numbers. People went into and I don't know if people had read about this, but. Microsoft released these financial statements that declared bonuses for executives mm-hmm. and the bonuses as usual are always tied to different circumstances like reach X amount of extra revenue, X amount of profit, Y, blah, blah, blah. One of them was hit X percentage with game pass growth and it failed. And so the bonuses weren't paid out and there there's, you know, it, it's just one amongst many. Uh-huh. And so people figured out the numbers and we're like, the growth is slow that it seems like maybe game pass is, I don't want to say sputtering out, but is, is maybe plateauing around the 20 to 22 million subscriber mark. Right. And this is good money for Microsoft, but dangerous when you consider that they've put all of their eggs into this basket and thus growth is paramount. This thing must grow. But I will say what I think a lot of people are, are ignoring willfully and I'll throw it over to you. They're doing this with no games. Right. Right. Like there's nothing that they're doing. Like none of their games have come out yet. So of course, when Halo, Halo's not even a good example because a lot of it's free. But like when Redfall and Starfield and all these come out, that's when we'll find out. Yeah. If it's it's working or not. But nonetheless, how do you feel about this growth or lack thereof? Yeah, I I think... um... I think the fact that they're plateauing at 22 million with no games is is kind of amazing. Like, I, that's astounding that they even got this far with as little as they had. You had Psychonauts 2, which is phenomenal, but it's not, you know, it, it's not that big attention-getting title. It's not it's not your Halo or your Forza. And I honestly don't even think, like, I know you, Halo's not a great example because free-to-play multiplayer or whatever. But I don't think people are going, I, I do think there's probably enough confusion in that <laughs> where people are probably going to be like, Oh, Halo's coming to Game Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I want that. Even if the, you know, it depends on how well the story is received or whatever, but which is still up in the air at this point. But I do think that the second Forza launches or like when Forza is out and then when Halo comes out and then this and next that's in November, year, by the way, right? Forza is November. Forza is right? November. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Halo is de- early December. Those are the months you're going to want to keep an eye on because that those are the months that are going to shine a light on the people who are paying attention to the to the platform and paying attention to the industry and if those subscriber numbers 
Scott don't do anything in November and December, then they've got a big problem. Or if they grow like a little bit, that's a problem. That's a massive issue. Uh, but for right now, it's it doesn't surprise me that they're plateauing in October when they haven't released anything. You know, like yeah. I mean, what what came out this month on Game Pass? Oh, Left for Left for Dead. Oh, uh, <laughs> or, or Back, <laughs> back, 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 back for Blood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and I and I, it's worth noting that that is wouldn't even be counted in these numbers. Yeah. I actually think these numbers are frozen somewhere in like July. So it's like, what was the shooter from People Can Fly that I I like? Why? Out, that was like a big one and they had a few others like the Final Fantasy games came and then it was frozen. So yeah, we might already be seeing that growth based on Back for Blood, but we don't really know. Yeah, I will note with Back for Blood, I, I find this quite interesting. You guys don't watch football, but there are a lot of Back for Blood commercials during football and it doesn't acknowledge PlayStation at all. Like there's no acknowledge that the game is on PlayStation. The splash screen doesn't say PlayStation. It's like Game Pass, Xbox, Xbox Series X, PC, Microsoft logo, no Sony at all. So that's another interesting game to see if we can track how it does. And I think Microsoft is always going to look bad in these situations optically because it's always going to be that the game did really well on PlayStation because they have to buy it there and that no one bought it on Microsoft because they don't have to. And Microsoft right. is willing to take that optical risk because it doesn't really matter anyway. Sony and Nintendo are going to dominate this list moving forward. There's not going to be shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, you saw that with Psychonauts. They're, Psychonauts isn't on, a, on the MPD. No, yeah, you of know? course. Yeah. So, if you don't have to buy them, then they're not going to chart. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah. Success is going to have to be measured very, very differently in the in the years going forward, because even like, um, I mean, surely like this question asked, like uh, with the recent report, do you guys think PlayStation should pursue their version of Game Pass? I don't know. I, I, I know that it's on their minds. I know that they can't ignore it. I know that it's big and I'm sure they'll probably have something, but I, I don't know if it's. Um, I don't know if it's wise necessarily to go that route. Because I think they know that they don't have the means to really compete on the same level, you know. Dustin, what what do you uh, make of of all of this with game, with Game Pass? First of all, the obsession with Game Pass I find not obsession, but this this focus on Game Pass is interesting, just because I think that we understand that the center of gravity Game Pass it re- represents the center of gravity now about a model that will either stick or won't, but I suspect will ultimately stick so i think that game pass hemorrhaging money which it's no doubt doing and not growing is just a small concern so long as microsoft is confident that they can make this work in the end and all they have to do is point at just copious evidence and say like that is literally the way everything else is consumed why wouldn't video games be consumed like this as well and i think it's a powerful argument right I think that they'll continue to see it grow also as they just get consoles out there the Series X, while it's, at least from my impression, is not as fast-selling as PS5, it is still very much in demand, and they are still selling them very quickly and is often sold out. So, at least for me, I feel like, the, why would you have a Series X without having Game Pass? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like as people get the console, it's just like going to be a, a default to sign up for for game pass so i think that will continue to go up as we see consoles go out i'm really interested in this idea still of the the playstation response to game pass and i think when people hear that they think about uh, i mean it was mentioned in that jim ryan interview where they said they were working on a a response and to me it doesn't indicate that we're getting a 
a copycat service from PlayStation. In fact, I think it's going to be pretty different. PlayStation already has a a Game Pass like service with PlayStation Now. Yeah, it's very different and uh, in a lot of ways. Right. But it is a similar service. What PlayStation is going to offer, though, that's what the really interesting aspect is. You know, we already have the the PlayStation Plus collection for PS5 owners, but I don't know. Maybe there's room for another collection that you can buy with a, you know, what would you call it? PlayStation Plus Plus PlayStation Plus yeah. Extra or something kind of like Nintendo is doing with their I, 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 supplemental. Except that hasn't that hasn't gone over well, that whole right. Nintendo thing. Which I'm surprised about, by the way, just to briefly, because I'm like, that sounds like a really affordable price for what you're getting. But anyway, I, I digress. Yeah, Go on. the the key will be in the difference between the, a Nintendo's approach and Sony's approach is perceived value, because a lot of people don't see the the value in how what you get for that 30 extra dollars on top of your $20 Nintendo uh, online. I mean, there is something to be said, too, about Nintendo's online being just absolutely horrible the core of the sort the the services is rotten whereas opposed to playstation plus is pretty robust so i don't know i'm gonna have to keep thinking on this like what what can sony offer that is compelling and different than game pass because again back to the core question is game pass sustainable long term i don't see sony just jumping in head first to be like their competitor and trying to match Game Pass one for one when, you know, Microsoft's able to pull this off because they have extremely deep pockets that they're willing to just wait and wait and wait until the subscriber base reaches high enough, hopefully. Yeah. But Sony's not willing to take that kind of risk because they can't. And that makes sense to me. I'll also say, just in exiting this question, I would be of the mind that publishers don't want Sony to go down that road. Because I think right now, a lot of these companies have the advantage of saying like, well, we can try this system and see what it works, how it works, like with uh, Back for Blood, right? Turtle Rock is like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll send it here. We'll get our love sum money, but let's see how the game sells on PlayStation. We can have both, both ways and see how it works. If that's removed, I think that. See, that's like the, the I've been thinking about that a lot lately where I feel like no one is talking about this fact that it's easy to say the subscription model is the right model for the for the economics of the industry when the industry is still being largely guided by a la carte purchases. Let's not forget that PlayStation grossed t more than twice as much money as Xbox last year. Right. So that's with all of Game Pass's revenue and everything else. And Microsoft and Sony is basically just selling games. They just sold 20 million copies of God of War. Yeah. So I think I think that Sony understands that there's probably more riding on them succumbing to the model because once they do, then I think a lot of their partners are going to be like, ah, fuck. Now we have to commit to this model. And right now, I think they give them an exit. And I think, by the way, it's not just an exit that they're they're ignoring things. I think it's an exit where they're like, this might be actually the proper path. We don't really know yet. We'll find out. Phil McCarthy wrote in and said, hey, boys, how's the form? I don't know what that means. My query is in relation to choosing the sex of your character, which is the norm in many games of today. But my question is, what sex do you choose? 
As a guy, I tend to go with a male character, but listening to other gaming podcasts and watching videos, I'm surprised at the amount of guys who choose female characters. Have you any preferences yourselves, and do you think some of these online personalities who choose to play as female in almost any game that they're given the choice to are just trying to be woke? Or do you think they legitimately find it a better experience, which I'd find odd, as you choose a gender usually before any of the game is actually played? Thanks, as always, for the outstanding content, and keep riding that rooster. Thank you, Phil, for writing in. We've talked in the past, Dustin, about sex options in games, Mm -hmm. but what I was curious about here is this idea that someone would choose to be the other gender out of being woke, which I find peculiar. Yeah. I've always found it strange to pick the other gender. Not if it's like, you know, you're playing Tomb Raider, she's a woman. And that's not what I mean. What I mean is like, you're making a character and you make it a woman. It almost feels like it's, it's not role-playing for me in that, in that, in that sense, in some way it's like, Oh, I don't, I, so I can't relate to it. It's like, I never played Femme Shep or, made my fallout wastelander women a woman or something i don't think you can even do that in fallout 4 but whatever the case might be so do you feel like first of all do you have a preference and do you feel like there's a reason that people are choosing the other gender or do you think that it just has to do with curiosity right for me it depends on the game in a rpg heavy role-playing like story-based role-playing we'll say I will pick a male character because I'm usually, especially if there's romantic options, right? Like I, I'm just going to go with the guy because that makes more sense if I'm putting myself in the shoes to play that. That makes sense to me. Like you, you brought up Mass Effect. That's a great uh, example. When it comes to games that are not as story heavy or don't have those story based choices, I will pretty regularly pick a female option. And for me, it has, I mean, has nothing to do with wokeness or anything like that. That's ridiculous. For me, it's just like nine nine times out of 10, well, maybe less now, but for most of gaming, you just play as dude or, or, or guy. And we're seeing more games with female characters. And so I feel like it's an interesting way to change it up. Sometimes I like the, the, like, in Bloodborne, I think that the the female characters or that you can design are are better looking as far as like a character model than the guy ones. So and I don't know. Yeah, I think it's fun to change it up. It has nothing to do with like, hmm. Well, I'm I'm picking a female in order to have more diversity in the gaming landscape. Yeah, it's not not anything like that. It's just like, well, <laughs> I was playing as dude bro number 37 when i played call of duty last week so why don't we change it up yeah what what do you think chris yeah i think i'm kind of in the same boat i don't normally um i mean even when i'm playing role-playing games i don't necessarily get too heavy into the role-playing part like i don't don't sit there and you know speak in an olden tone (laughs) you know like i'm not i don't get that into it so even like um stuff like skyrim whatever but like it really just depends on literally like how I'm feeling in the moment when I'm making that choice. I don't necessarily think too hard about it. Um, I think when I played Skyrim, I was a guy. I think when I played Cyberpunk, I was a woman. I think I played uh, Sunset Overdrive as a guy first, and then I was like, ah, this is fun, and then like r- did another run as like a woman just to see like what the differences would be. I've played Mass Effect as both Fem Shep and Normal Shepherd, so like I don't know if I really gravitate towards one or the other it really is just kind of like a in the moment do i feel like 
what are the games that I've been playing recently? Have I, have I been is my back catalog for the last four games a bit of a sausage fest? And do I have an opportunity to change that? Ah, I sure. maybe I will. Well said. But it's purely it's purely random. I don't know if I have like a particular preference. You know, I always play as a man. Go men. <laughs> Go men. Brian Seals wrote in and said, hey, boys, there's been a lot of talk about the perceived value of 2D games circulating recently. This is mainly due to Metroid Dread, with detractors pointing to 2018's God of War as the better experience. They got me thinking, are there any Sony-owned IP that could excel in 2D or 2.5D? And if so, could Sony get away with charging $70 for it? Thanks for all the great content. My answer to this, and I'll go to you first on this one, uh, Chris, is I think it's obvious that the answer is yes. And I also think that it's obvious that it can be done with many different games. Mm -hmm. I, I don't... 2.5D is whatever, but 2, 2D is hard. Yeah. It, it's not easy to make games like that, make them beautiful, make them fluid. And you think about games like, um, shit, weren't we just talking about Symphony of the Night last a week or two ago with Dustin playing it? And we were talking about like how gorgeous that game is. And that's hard. You know, that's hard to do. And so could they get away with doing that? Yes. What IP would it be? I don't know probably a lot of them i just challenge people to not always think about 3d as the superior dimension or whatever but rather what the experience calls for and symphony of the night would suck if it was 3d it wouldn't be good at all it wouldn't make any sense it's perfect the way it is Mm -hmm. but uncharted is a 2d game i don't i don't think so maybe Uh, i don't know so uh chris what do you think yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there uh, there are IP in the Sony library that could be like kind of retrofitted into those kinds of styles. I, I think in a more interesting aspect of this question is, you know, the nature of value versus the ecosystem. So it's like, could uh, a Sony owned IP excel in 2D space? And if so, could Sony get away charging $70 for it? That is an interesting thing because that is the part, the $70. I don't know if they could because within that ecosystem, you now have, let's say you have a 2D God of War game that is as expensive as God of War 2018. And you look at the two of them side to side and like we understand as people who are in the industry that like, you know, just because something's a little bit more flashy, you know, doesn't necessarily make something inherently better. We saw those ridiculous comparisons between the dragon fight and God of War and like the Metroid fight. And it's just like, what is this? Oh, with Ridley? Yeah. 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 And it's like, <laughs> these are very different things. And, and the, and value isn't necessarily about, you know, literal production value. It's about uh, what value you get out of it. It's about how replayable and how tightly designed and how, like how you feel when you play it. But I do wonder, like, if somebody were to look into the Sony ecosystem and they saw those two games next to each other, same title, same price, and they're met with that vast difference in style and, to the layman, quality, whether or not they could get away with something like charging $70 for a 2D God of War game in the same way that Nintendo can because, you know, the biggest game that they have is a 2D fighter. You know, and the and the three D games that they have are nice looking, but they don't look particularly. You know, it's not God of War. You know, Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild are really good looking games, but they're not. They're not Red Dead Redemption Two. 
and they're arguably a little bit closer in graphical fidelity to Metroid Dread, despite the fact that they are both like, you know, here's 2D and here's 3D. I think it's an interesting question that you have to kind of view in the context of the ecosystem. And I, I, I don't know what the reaction would be to a 2D God of War game selling for $70. My, my gut says, not too good. Yeah, you're probably right from that perspective. Yeah. Dustin, my, my instinct here is to maybe go to my argument that maybe the suggestion is that this is just saying that games are too cheap. I know, I know people hate to say that, but we're talking, if they're, I hate to hear that, but if they're, I think Metroid Dread was 60, seems appropriate to me, mm-hmm. but maybe that just means that a big 3D game shouldn't be 70 bucks. And this is kind of the argument that I've been making that maybe we should be exploring a much wider space of, of game value. And it's tough when you have a, a company like Rockstar, a dev like Rockstar, putting so much AAA value into a game like Red Dead, where they really could have split the third of that game off and made it into a $30 DLC pack. I mean, you have to respect that kind of stuff, but it raises the the value proposition for the audience. And so I think Chris is right there. But I, I want to keep encouraging people to look at games as 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 subjective entertainment and art. And you can get just different values out of things based on the structure in which you approach them, purchase them, experience them, etc. So what do you make of this question? Yeah, I don't think I have much to add. I think Chris totally nailed it in that I think that Sony, I think you could have a, a very well justified $70 2D game, but it the fact that it's Sony and not Nintendo, I don't think they would, I don't think Sony would quote unquote get away with it. Even if the quality was worth $100, people just don't expect that from them. Nintendo I don't know whether you want to call it Nintendo bias or they're known for making fantastic 2D games or at least were at one point, then I don't know. I think that that's an issue, though. Maybe not an issue. It's just how the market is and how they view these two different companies. As far as a game that would work well in in 2D, I feel like Ratchet and Clank, you could make something pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, there's a. I think you brought it up, Colin. Like a lot of these IPs, like you could do interesting, in, interesting things with. Like you could do a Metroidvania game with with Aloy exploring, like uh, deep down into one of these like uh, robot facilities or something, and she gets right. different abilities or whatever as you play. You could do all kinds of things. Okay, this last one comes from the Lateralis experience. I guess that's a tool reference. He says, hey, CDC, first time writing in. I was wondering if there were any third-party dev studios, which are now defunct, you fellas believe would be best suited for first-party PS studios. Personally, I would go with Neversoft and Pandemic. Thanks for the top-tier content that you continually release, and best of luck to all future endeavors. I understand what you're saying, but those are third-party studios, but they're both owned by publishers. But it doesn't really matter. This is just a hypothetical. I'm curious... Chris, let's start with you. Anything come to mind? I mean, obviously, I, I would assume uh, any reference to uh, pandemic. What, what was that? A dog? Yeah. Any reference to a? I that was any my reference dog. to pan- Wait, hold on. Wait, whose dog was it? Oh, I, I got a, I got a fluff thing that I got to take outside. Look at that thing. Like, give me a second. God bless. Yeah, no problem. One moment. Go, run away! <laughs> run away! Get the hell out of here! All right. Go on now. Get. <laughs> Sorry. What's what was the question? I was gonna uh, with the. Uh, He's asking if there are any third-party studios that are defunct that you think would fit within PlayStation Studios. He brought up Pandemic, which I, I know you have a lot of love for, old EA team. 
do you feel like there are any studios that don't exist anymore that if they were revived or maybe just held on would have made sense within the PlayStation ecosystem? Yeah, I, I remember reading this question when I was preparing for the show and I, I was immediately upset because Neversoft and Pandemic are like my <laughs> are like the ones. Yeah, that I was going to say that's very much for you. It's huh? very much me. That's like the old Spider-Man games, and like the old Tony Hawk games and obviously Pandemic with Destroy All Humans and the Saboteur and Battlefront and what a what a talented, you know, middle market studio Pandemic was. I mourn them every day but i do think um i don't know defunct maybe and maybe this is technically cheating but like visceral i think was a really solid studio i know that they're they're it's kind of that's kind of a weird one because they're sort of back again a little bit technically but i don't know pandemic's always going to be my answer to that though so any other answer would be disingenuous <laughs> or be like trying to like <laughs> fill up something on, on the spot. Pandemic was so good at just making absurd things that should not really work in concept and making them like really fun and, and interesting. Like there's no reason Destroy Humans should be real, but it is. And they did it and it was awesome. So I love them for it. What do you think, Dustin? I feel like we've we've brought up the the three three studios the defunct studios that people still think about usually not always but oftentimes when studios are closed they're closed for a reason mm -hmm. and so there's a few cases of course like visceral you think about like something like dead space of course a third party uh, a third person action game fitting in the uh the playstation lineup that that uh, you know is a, clearly a good a good connection there but i was trying to think like Irrational doesn't really count because they've just they're defunct, but not really. They're just kind of changed into something else. But I don't know. I was really struggling to to think of something outside of the the stuff that we've already talked about. The studio that came to mind for me was uh, first of all a studio within the family. That's that's not the question, but I think the studio that's within the family that would make a lot of sense in the modern Sony is Zipper. Yeah, if they could have just held on, I think that they would be an important piece of the puzzle right now. But they're yeah. gone. But outside of the Sony um, ecosystem, United Front is what came to mind for me. Canadian team known for sleeping dogs. But you'll recall oh. that they were a second party PlayStation partner. Their first game was Mod Nation Racers on PS3, which came out in 2010. And then they did a little big planet carding in 2012. But I think Sleeping Dogs, which was published by Square Enix, you'll recall that it was originally supposed to be like a true crimes game that that defunct series no longer exists. But Sleeping Dogs is an excellent game. And they made a catastrophic error in developing that game Triad Wars, which I don't know if you guys remember. They were they had this idea. It's actually very similar to what 38 Studios did, where 38 Studios had a hit with Amalur. And then they're like, ah, we'll make Copernicus, which was like the MMO. And then we'll get back to the to the sequel later. And then they just ran out of money. United Front made Sleeping Dogs and then were convinced for some reason that they should make a multiplayer online game called <laughs> Triad Wars. And it was a fucking bust and it was a complete waste of time. And they really fucking shat the bed on that on that choice. I don't know who that was it that the die was cast for them. They did some work like third party work, I think, for Disney. And I, they actually worked on Halo Master Chief. But I, they came to mind for me because I feel like sleeping dogs would have fit really well within what PlayStation does. Yeah. And I don't think they need the cart racers. That doesn't matter. But they were making like open world games. And in fact, they might have been like the premier open world studio for Sony back then, because obviously they've made Gorilla into that. They made Bend into that, but it wasn't always that way. So that's what came to mind for me for that fun little exercise. Thank you, Lateralis Experience, for writing in. 
boys, that's all we have. It's a pretty, it's under three hours, a pretty short episode for us. There's just not that much going on right now. I don't think there's a, you know, we're waiting for some, some bigger news, waiting for some bigger releases, but much to discuss. Chris, do you have any closing comments? I don't know. Yeah. Today's episode was like, uh, it, f- it feels like uh, the calm before the storm almost, you know, mm. like we got the God of War PC thing, which is pretty big, but I don't know. I feel like something's going to happen soon. I hope so. Dustin, closing comments. Uh, well, let's see. Next week, it's already the final week of October next week. Halloween episode where we won't be doing anything for that. And unless you guys want to, uh, we could we could do that. But I don't have any other closing comments. Candy corn is great. Eat it. Just oh to piss God. people off before we go. You're welcome. Fair enough. <laughs> Boys, thank you for your time. Appreciate you. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of Sacred Symbols and all things Last Stand. Remember, go to Patreon for early ad-free access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Access Sacred Symbols Plus twice a week. These perks are also good for our retro and nostalgia podcast, Knockback, on our Xbox podcast, Defining Duke, patreon.com slash laststandmedia, laststandmedia.shop for merch. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify and all the rest. You know the drill. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Zia Parix, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Graham Plays, Christian R., Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Nick R., Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troy True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Bobby Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jordan Peterson's Fat Hog, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, 
Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton Kay, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kitzel III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Number two. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.